get it going. It's time to get up. Waiting, waiting, going for all of it down the right sideline. The pass up in the air. It is yeah! knocked down and complete. Knocked down and complete. Micah Hyde knocks it down, and the clock shows zero. The Bills advance. The Bills win it. These guys are here to break it all down. And Adam Godet goes down in a heave near side with Tyler Mott, and they're going to drop the gloves. Godet coming around with the right hand, tackles Mott to the ice, and the linesmen get in quickly as tempers boil over here in the scrimmage. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. They are who we thought they were. This is the starting lineup with James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Oh, happy Monday, two days away from dropping the puck. What's happening on this Monday, January 11th? How you doing, everybody? Rise and shine. James Sabalski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass. This is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. And just two days away from puck drop and uh, the Canucks uh, trying to get back to normal after I had somewhat of a funky weekend pair as I was deciding. I'm going to drive in. I'm going to go watch practice yesterday only uh, to get surprised uh, just as I was getting a little closer than uh, I thought. Just, hey, all right, great. Watch everybody. They have a scrimmage at noon. And, uh, well, that all kind of quickly blew up yesterday morning. As we get set for the season to start, how many times during this regular season will sports fans, hockey fans, uh, those who cover the game go, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh. And that was it yesterday when you find, uh-oh, COVID, uh-oh, what's going on? I, I like the fact you have to take some precautions, but I, I believe as you and I were so excited to break everything down and, and every game that will be played, much like we saw a cancellation in the NBA and teams without players and, and a Cleveland Browns team that had a terrible week and facilities closed. I, I think we're crazy to think it won't happen during the regular season. But the good news is the Canucks will be back on the ice. But yeah, man. Saturday night, you watch that exhibition game. You listen to it here in the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're watching it on Twitter. The Leafs are playing on Sportsnet, a blue and white game. You're going, okay, it feels like hockey. And then Sunday, oh, man. But back at it today, which is good news. I think you just came up with a new chant for the season. Uh-oh, COVID. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Uh-oh, COVID. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. It's, I mean, they're going to be back on the ice later on today. Uh, later this morning, the Canucks are set to practice around 11 o'clock, so in about five hours from now. It was it was described as as an abundance of caution due to potential exposure to COVID-19. But the Canucks are the fourth team. Like, Pear, this is the fourth time it's happened, you know, like in less than a week in a three-day window. You know, the first Canadian team, the Canucks were, but the Penguins canceled practice on Saturday after potential exposure to COVID. Uh, the NHL is forced to delay the start of the Dallas Stars season as we were signing off the air on Friday. Yeah. We got word that the Stars had, what, six players and two staff members test positive for coronavirus. And then the Blue Jackets had also announced on Friday that multiple players would miss practice due to COVID-19 protocols by the National Hockey League. So you got the Canucks, the Pens, the Stars, the Jackets. I mean, that's four out of 31 teams and. No, you're right. I, I think this is something that we've got to just simply prepare for, that there's going to be speed bumps. Look, it happened in the National Football League. It happened in Major League Baseball. I mean, look at how many guys have already had to miss time at the start of the NBA season. And, you know, they had to call off the uh, the Celtics and Heat yesterday, a big Eastern Conference showdown last night because of COVID concerns. Here, here's here's my, uh, my question, and I think the NHL probably has. They've got plan A right through to plan W. But I would believe 
if you see what we've done with the NFL and how they had to play games on Tuesday one time on a Wednesday, they had to adjust their schedule. We saw what happened with Major League Baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball played so many doubleheaders to make up games. I would think that the NHL has in place a possible 52-game schedule, a possible 48-game schedule, maybe all the way down to 42. Because if you have that finish line, that finish line is July, the end of July, because that's when the Olympics, mind you, who knows if the Olympics are going to take place, but that's why they wanted to get it done because of NBC's TV deal with the Olympics. And this is what they thought they could do. I think there has to be a little bit of buffer because, James, you're right. We said goodbye Friday morning on this show, signed off. Dallas had officially announced that they were they were not going to have practice. They didn't officially say it was COVID, but reports were out there. And since that time, you had three other teams, Canucks included, to step forward. That's going to happen. Why would that not happen possibly Thursday or Friday? You're going to get those one-off teams, and if they're playing, and odds are, knowing how condensed the schedule they will, you're going to have to back a lot of things up. And I don't know how much runway they have if they're trying to finish it in July. I think that what they do is they go, oh, we can't play 56. It's now 54 games. Interesting to see how they'll navigate this because you know it's happening again. I'll, I hear you, but look at Major League Baseball. I mean, they pulled it off, and man, there were there were teams that were what, you know, seven games behind at certain points, right? Trying to cram in a sixty-game season, and they pulled it off, right? They they found those makeup dates along the way, whether it was doubleheaders. No, I do not see the National Hockey League playing doubleheaders uh, in the same day like Major League Baseball, but. You know, Major League Baseball found a way, as much as we kind of looked at them in July and thought, oh, man, this is a dumpster fire here. And they got through it. But they found and, a way and, with doubleheaders. Yeah, I, I, I think they'll find a way. I, I think they'll they'll get it done um, unless things go absolutely out of control. Um, I, I just look at the way that the National Football League's pulled it off. And, and, man, you look at the dangers and the health and safety concerns for playing short weeks and the NFL still pulled it off. Um, you know, Major League Baseball's been able to get it done so far. We'll see if the NHL can do it, but I think that these leagues have been determined to try to find a way. Hey, I mean, the Western Hockey League also announced that they got a 24-game season. You know, what does that look like? They announced over the weekend as well, so they still need sign-off from provincial health authorities, but people are ready to get going, man. They're ready to drop the puck on this, and uh, here we go. We're two days away from the start of the NHL season. Lots to get to here over the next three hours. No shortage of guests dropping by on the show as well, Pear. Lots of things to do. We'll, we'll get into what's happening with the Calgary Flames as uh, Eric Francis will join us. We'll get into what's happening with the Canucks. A fight. You know they're serious when guys are dropping the gloves. Uh, Corey Hirsch will join us at 8 o'clock. We'll do that. We'll break down. Man, I don't know. It was an NFL weekend that the way it ended yesterday with some coaching decisions. We'll get into it, as always, with the J joins us to break down what has happened and in a fascinating and a disappointing way for everything to end, especially a couple hours south of us. Man, the Seahawks, you think, James, you're peak at the right time? And they just couldn't get it done. So we'll break down everything NFL-wise as we get set for weekend number two. Oh, my God. Some very, very disappointing seasons uh, <laughs> coming to an end or disappointing results on Sunday. Uh, hold that thought on that. At, at Sportsnet 650 is where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line as well. Always open for business. But, man, I want to go back to what you touched on on Saturday. 
And there's the scrimmage on Saturday night, and I'm sure a lot of you were, were watching it, streaming it uh, in the middle of you know, the Bucks and Washington going down on Saturday night. And then, you know, I had the, I had the Canucks uh, scrimmage going down, streaming as well online. And, and there you go, man, for the first time. And, man, I couldn't even tell you the last time I remember two Canucks throwing down in a fight, um, whether it was a practice or a scrimmage. But there's Adam Gaudet and Tyler Mott going at it. And in one breath, you're kind of like, man, love it. Like, there's some competitive spirit between two guys that, you know, man, they're, they're competing. They got their game faces on. And then you kind of do a little bit of a deeper dive. I'll tell you what, Pear, like, what the hell is Tyler Mott thinking with a slew foot like slew that? Foot. Like, that was absolute garbage. Like, that's a teammate, man. Like, what if, what, like, how stupid are you? To do something like that to your teammate, and I think we we like Tyler Mott in terms of what he brings to the table for the Canucks. He's not necessarily known as a rat type player, but man, like to do that, and and I thought you know Greg Ballack made a great point on 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 Twitter as well on that Saturday night, pointing out that you know after the slew foot, Mott then you know swipe swipes Goddad's stick away, like knocks it away to kind of bank it out of play. Like what the hell are you doing? Like that was dirty dirty i didn't like it at all i watched it and um you know i had and it's funny half half an eye on the football game half an eye on what the canucks are doing you see that and i was automatically going so what did Godet do that we didn't see because to me that was so outrageous to a teammate that it to me looked like it had to be reactionary i mean that was textbook slew foot get your arms in front of the guy's chest pull him back, throw that leg underneath, then throw him down hard. You could hear the ooze by the other guys on the ice. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, good for Adam Gaudet to come up and, and challenge him. But to me, I'm going, okay, that is way across the line. What did Adam Gaudet do? You know, you would think if a guy pitchforked or something, then you're, you're going to get something like that. You know, you remind that of, of Bertuzzi and guys saying, you know, you got to do everything to fight for your job. Neither of those guys are necessarily fighting for a job right now. They know they're putting on the uniform beside each other on Wednesday night to represent this hockey team. Didn't understand it. Didn't like it. I know Bull Horvath said afterwards, hey, man, we're like brothers. We got so tight in the bubble. Man, that was crossing the line even for brothers there. So I, I don't know if you take that as really positive and good energy. Yeah, I don't know where Tyler Mott's head was with that. You know, and again, it's not typically his style. It's not usually his approach. But... For for that, and, and here's the other thing, Pear. You know, like you said, you appreciate the combativeness and the competitiveness on Adam Gaudet's part to say, man, I didn't like that and stepping in and throwing down. I don't think many people would have an issue with that. But what if there's a broken hand on that, right? He starts chucking. They both got helmets on still, right? I mean, it's just, okay, in one breath you say, okay, I like that competitive spirit, but the whole result of that comes from just stupidity. And if somebody winds up with an injury of substance, and let's say Adam Gaudet starts the first month of the season on the injured list because he's got a broken hand as a result of that, or let's say a, a hyperextended knee or a broken ankle, right? Like how uh, like how ridiculous does that play look then when you're trying to be, you're trying to go that, what, quote-unquote extra mile in a scrimmage? Well, listen, we could go through the history of NHL training camps and find guys that did something stupid and missed a few games. I think 
the guys would have been given the instructions. Hey, man, go 100%, guys. We are not getting any exhibition games. Go 100%. You hear that to pro players, but they know you're not going to go 100% when you're in the corner. But So what if it's different and you, you hit somebody and all of a sudden there's a little dislocation? Do you go, man, you should have just rubbed them a little bit. You shouldn't have hit them. So I can understand there's that risk, but it, it's like when you take a penalty like that, it, it just made no sense. And to me, I don't know what triggered him. I don't mind the fights that are going to happen. You could have some bad luck with that. I, but I just don't look at oh, They're ready. Oh, they are challenging each other. They are ready, much ready to go. God, that's crazy. It's And you kind of looked at it, and I think we both, the most fans, would have had the same impression. All right, that was a, that was offside, man. There was no need for something like that. Hook something, but that was textbook slew foot where you can hurt a guy. But other than that, I mean, I think this team is as ready as you can be to play. It seems like, you know, some decisions will be made. I, I'm curious what they do. Travis Hammond will join them today on the ice for the first time. James, can you play him Wednesday night? He hasn't played hockey since last February. No. I, I, I would be, I would be, I don't want to say shocked, but I would be very surprised to see him in the lineup Wednesday night or even Thursday for that matter in Edmonton. I think your best case scenario is to see Travis Hamanick come the weekend to see him on maybe a Saturday. That's where I would see the more likelihood for Travis, you know, to thrust a guy in what, what uh, two practices and then to get him in when you haven't played in a year. No, no. I mean, here, the other, here's the other thing, like you just said, like he just finished his quarantine yesterday, right? Yesterday was supposed to be his first time on the ice for, you know, his new team. And then to all of a sudden be jumping into the lineup for the first time in a year, like that's how that's how you, you suffer a groin injury or, so, you know, just not ready. You, you know, get your, get your game legs ready. I would say at the earliest we'll see him by the weekend. That would be my guess. Yeah, I, I don't think we will we will see him being pushed. Brogan Rafferty getting that spot on Saturday. Um, I, I would suspect, I don't care how hard you've trained, you haven't played hockey at a high level. Uh, yeah, just jump out there. You guys, we're gonna, we want to match you up against McDavid. Probably not the smartest thing to do. And you make a point there. Um, I just think we're going to see a bunch of injuries too. I think you will see the pulled groins and, and everything that comes with playing hockey at ramping it up. You can go as hard as you want. The coach can practice as hard as you want. You've done it in a, a quick 10-day window. Um, I think we will see. It'll almost be like John Tortorella said, I can't do anything about COVID. I'm not even going to talk about it. We're going to follow the protocol. That's it. An NBA coach said, you know, I don't even know who I'm going to have some days. I think you're going to see so many injuries. We saw it a lot in the NFL this year that we're going to see an awful lot of new players get NHL debuts, which is going to make it fantastic. Everyone wants your opportunity. My God, I'm watching a quarterback. Was he named Heineken? Tyler Heineke was unbelievable Saturday night. And then they're talking about the guy who was the four stringer and you're going, we'd never get these chances. We know what the taxi squads, but you're going to see some AHL players that wanted and wanted that opportunity that will get some because of the condensed schedule, because of injuries like that. So you're going to have to manage it. I agree. I don't think Travis Hamannick plays and even playing Saturday might be quick for him. See what kind of shape he's in, but they'll be excited to get him there and get some ice time with Quinn Hughes. If that's what the partnership's going to be to see how that work out. Well, something else to keep in mind. You got the Oilers Wednesday and Thursday, off day Friday, and then on Saturday and Monday, you play two in Calgary against Hammonick's former team. 
that's where I would sooner have seen Travis Hamannick lining up on the week, either Saturday or Monday. That's where he'll likely make his debut against his former team coming up. He's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Sabalski. Lots of Canucks conversation to get into. Uh, Canucks scheduled to be on the ice at 11. Um, and based on their schedule today, practice at 11 and then their media avail around 12.20 today. Um, and when you try to connect the dots on that, it's only one on-ice session. So I'm assuming they probably got the roster decisions made and we'll get a clearer sense uh, later on today as to who's on the taxi squad, you know, who's on the actual roster and, um, you know, who are we saying bye-bye to. So we'll uh, wait with some anticipation with that later on this morning to see who's, I guess, who's on the ice and who's not on the ice will probably be the most telling thing pair for the Canucks uh, later on this morning. Yeah, I, you know, to me it doesn't become that difficult if you take what they had on Friday. Um, the guys on the outside uh, seem to be Zach McEwen right now and Louis Erickson. Mm-hmm. You probably have Jordan Ben, Jordy Ben sitting on the outside with, with Chatfield and Rafferty. The question would be, you know, a guy like Rathbone, if you haven't played any pro hockey, are you Utica bound or is there a process that they think they can get better hanging out with the taxi squad and practicing here? Took a Jake Vertanen shot right in the junk there on Saturday night in the scrimmage that led to a yeah. to one of the uh, one of the two goals in the uh, in the game on Saturday. Uh, you know he has shown stuff in practice and in some of the scrimmages. Rathbone, I just think he needs to play, right? I, I think yeah. they like what I think they like what he can offer. But you know what? Go out and play. Get your confidence in the American League, and you know we'll see you later. Um, you know, I don't think that's I don't think that's a negative. You know, also some conversations that you know Vasily Podkolzin's exit uh, could be coming sooner rather than later in Russia, and, and the Canucks might see him. I mean, you know, imagine getting both Hoglander and Podkolzin this same season, which seemed like a bit of a pie in the sky six months ago, but um, you know, not so surprising now based on what we've seen from Hoglander over the last week. Uh, your Canucks commute coming up at eight. Corey Hurst dropping by. Uh, plenty of Canucks conversation over the course of the morning. Also, uh, we'll get to uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour uh, what Elias Pettersson's uh, contract extension might be looking like more and more, a little more transparency from what we saw over the weekend as well. But you touched on the National Football League. Seahawks are done, Pear. Uh, my Bears are done. Uh, Steelers are done. Man, I'll tell you what. Uh, it was a horrible, it was a horrible weekend from me, uh, from a betting standpoint. Like you killed it this year. We went through our picks on Friday. I decided to jump on the action, just figuring, you know what? I'm going to take these lines. I like where they're at now. I put all my plays in. I, I think Thursday night, and just watched mm-hmm. from Saturday until last night. I went 0-5 and one against the spread. I'm broke, man. I'm broke. Well, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, first off, never never throw in on Thursday because there's so much stuff that goes on with the NFL. you got to wait as long as possible. So I made those Friday picks, and then by the time Saturday rolled around, I'm going, man, I, I just don't I don't want to touch that Seattle-Los Angeles game. Don't like that. I don't like that Colts game. I couldn't see the favorites. So, you know, in our betting standpoint, what I did, I, I took the sure favorites. I knew Tampa Bay was going to win, or at least I thought they were going to win. Uh, not sure, but I figured, you know, Buffalo was going to win. I said the Saints will win easily over your Bears. They said, okay, so the big bet we'll see in that fourth team is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Man. So it all came crumbling down last night. But but let's deal with <laughs> Seattle. It's I just thought that defense, the way they played against San Francisco against a good defense, as long as Russell had a chance, he was going to be fine in the fourth. 
but the O-line was relatively healthy. Your receivers were healthy. You had the you had the quarterback was healthy. You had your running game back. Your defense playing better. And, man, there was nothing. I mean, all year long, let Russ cook. Are you going, are you kidding me? It's like a crock pot. They couldn't come up with anything except for that one broken play to DK Metcalf, who, by the way, probably showed a little too much enthusiasm and anger after he was rocked and dropped the ball. Just incredibly disappointing that the Seahawks were that that flat because I thought if they get on a run, considering what's there, this team could be playing football for a while. I think a lot of people felt that. This team kind of lined up really well. They went 12-4. and four. Like, for all the knocks and the flaws in this historically bad defense to start the year pair that they turned around, and then to have one of the better run defenses in the league down the stretch, right? And to have, you know, to have Jared Goff, who couldn't even throw a football step in, like, that was an ugly loss for the Seahawks at home on Saturday. And to get run over by Cam Akers like that, um, that kind of felt like an inexcusable loss for the Seahawks. And now they've got, what, 24 free agents on the roster? And according to... It looks like they've only got about $17 million worth of cap space. You know, this team's got to figure it out, but status quo isn't getting the job done. I just don't know what the answer is. I, I per, like, I'll say this: there's some people talking. It's time to turn the page on Pete Carroll. I don't think that's the answer. No, I don't yeah. think that, that this team's at a point where you got to fire Pete Carroll. But status quo doesn't seem to work. Like it took them half the season to figure out their D, and when they finally figured out their D, their offense went MIA. Like I would have never have thought that Russ would be as as what's the average best word? yeah that's a great way to describe it like russ you know and how many times do people you know hey look i'll take russ with a big game on the line like you know i'll take my chances with russ russ was neutered man and it wasn't just saturday we saw this for probably a good six weeks down the stretch that's where i'd be more concerned like, you know, we always hear defense wins championships. My goodness, that Rams defense is great. DK Metcalf oh. against Ramsey lost it, right? Pair and Aaron Donald was hurt down the stretch, and they still yeah. couldn't do anything. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's exactly it. You have to you have to know, hey, if they're going to get a lot of pressure on us, how are we going to adapt to it, right? How are, What are we going to dump things off? Are we going to be able to do it? And, and they were unable to. And that's where I thought the advantage was really. I mean, I was shocked when all of a sudden you see Wolford's actually quarterbacking. I thought for sure that John McVay was playing the old, uh, it's going to be Goth. It's going to be just doesn't want to tell him. And then Wolford, and you go, okay, they game plan. And then this guy looks like he can do more. And then you're a guy who 12 days ago had surgery on his thumb. He's throwing ducks out there. You can't get to him. You can't stop him. You, like, let him beat you. Give the ball to Akers. Give the ball to Akers. How do you not load up the box and stop the run? It just seems like they could not find it. And, boy, if any team missed that 12th man, it was Seattle. But that's not good enough. And you could hear Pete Carroll after the game. Russ, like, I, I can't believe it ended that quick. I had so much confidence in this team. Maybe too confident. Maybe thinking this is a good setup for him. But you're right, James. Do you base it on a playoff game or do you base it on that fall where they disappeared essentially for a month and poor decisions were being made by Russell Wilson? It's a strange time, but it's not like they have a whole bunch of options in Seattle. They might have to stay with what they've had other than making some kind of a move that might might strengthen one area. But I don't know if they're getting any better, and they got to hope teams around them aren't either, and I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I, I mean, that obviously surprised me. 
the Steelers, you know, falling behind 28 nothing against the Browns, and that game essentially over midway through the first quarter absolutely shocked first me. Snap. But but I'll tell you what, Pear, the game that, to, to me, the Ravens spanking the Titans, I mean, Lamar Jackson was incredible. But And for for all things considered, way too much was made over Lamar Jackson's first playoff win. The guy's 24. He's going to win a lot of playoff games, so pump the brakes, people. But I'll say this. The fact that Derrick Henry held to 40 yards on 18 carries yesterday, as good as Lamar was, to me, that's as big a story as Lamar yesterday. The fact that Derrick Henry, a 2,000-yard running back, like, man, you do not see that much in football. In the course of the history of the National Football League, very few guys have run for 2,000 yards in a season. Derrick Henry was one of them, and he had 40 yards on almost 20 carries yesterday. Like, that is a hell of a showing by the Ravens' D. Well, we said we were wrong with all our bets. I I said I would on the air Friday, and I did on the weekend. I put some money on the Ravens to win the Super Bowl just because I think they could be good enough. I think they they might get that kind of defensive play. I don't like how Lamar Jackson throws the football, but, boy, Lamar Jackson, when he decides to run, can do so much. You're right, though. It's it's a simple game plan, though. Tennessee, they simply said, okay, if you know Baltimore was, all right, if we lose this game, we're going to lose it to Ryan Tannehill. Now, Corey Davis was hurt near the end of the game, didn't help. A.J. Brown was hurt going in, but he was great. But, boy, Derrick Henry, you speak about frustration. Like, that is a guy who was not used to getting stifled. Doesn't matter. As the game goes longer, he gets better. Wasn't the case. Full advantage. The only thing I didn't like from Lamar Jackson, and I'm that guy, play as hard as you want, talk crash. He wins the football game. He takes off under the tunnel. Hey, have your beef with the football team. It's the greatest thing about hockey. Hate, play hard, but when it's done, Shake hands, move on. That was oh my god! Are you kidding me? I, I to to you know just to counter that point, Jimmy Graham at the end of the game yesterday with the touch one handed touchdown grab to end the game against the Saints and Bears, and then just runs into the tunnel. I thought that was but the greatest mic drop. If that was right? if that might be the end of his career, that's the greatest mic drop ever in NFL history. One handed exactly. grab, touchdown, ball game, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! I, was I love Jimmy Graham. That was great. But Lamar Jackson's coming back to play football. Although Jimmy Graham killed me because I didn't get on the point spread quick enough, which is 11 and a half. And my goodness, even our friend Todd Furman said, thank goodness they didn't kick the extra point for so many people who played the game. I got into it late, so I had to take 12 and a half. So Jimmy Graham killed me. But what a walk off for him. Great catch, well, but get away. But Lamar Jackson, you won the game. You were the story. Win it. Don't run off the field right away. He went full on Detroit Piston there. Come on, shake the hands of Tannehill. Find out. Uh, you know, uh, find Derrick Henry, move on, uh, see them next year. But the Ravens might keep on going. I like that football team. I like how they can play. And again, we go back to a defense plays that stout. You never know how long they'll play. You know, I, I there's a Ravens history with that sort of attitude and vibe. And I can remember covering the AFC Championship in 2013 when Baltimore ultimately won the Super Bowl against the Niners. And they had gone into Foxborough and beat the Patriots that year in that AFC championship game. And after the game, like in the tunnel, there are a lot of Ravens. Terrell Suggs was kind of one of them front and center, just kind of going by the pads dressing room and just like, 
you know, F you guys, you know, screw off, <laughs> that, that sort of. I mean, that's a bit of a Baltimore sort of approach. But uh, mm-hmm. lots of football coming up. Natea J, our Monday morning quarterback, will join us in an hour from now. It is 27 minutes after uh, 6 o'clock here on this Monday morning. James and Perry kicking it with you until 9 o'clock here on your home of the Canucks. And we'll dive into some of the Canucks in a moment as the roadmap is finally clear for Elias Pedersen's next deal with the Canucks. We'll explain next in a moment right here on Sportsnet 650. He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. Well, last spring, an NHL agent said to me, it's real simple for the Canucks. Pedersen's contract comparable is Matthew Kinchuk. $7 million AAV, and that's it. Well, over the weekend... Another textbook example for what the Canucks and their face that runs the place could be looking at this summer came down when Coquitlam's Matt Barzell and the Islanders agreed upon a similar three-year deal worth $7 million annually. That's the same as what the Flames' pesky forward agreed to in 2019 and just a shade more than Braden Point's second contract. Yes, bridge deals are about as popular these days as Disney's The Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the way. With the uncertain financial landscape, a bridge deal has made sense for several players and teams for the last couple of off-seasons. Barzell's deal on Long Island is a huge sigh of relief for the Islanders, but it does give the Canucks and Pedersen another route on a roadmap to reach a financial agreement at the end of this sprint of a season. There was a great deep dive in the Athletic over the weekend by Drancer showing that the second contract recipients like Barzell and Pierre-Luc Dubois in Columbus and just how their numbers compare with Petey's. The 22-year-old Swede averages more goals and points per game than both of those guys, and Pedersen's playoff numbers actually climbed to over a point per game. Only Braden Point's playoff numbers climb like that. So in short, who wants to walk with Elias? As I've said before, the Canucks should do everything in their power to keep peace in the Valley when it comes to their young guns like Pedersen and Hughes and lock them up to long-term deals ASAP. But we know that's not happening. Not anytime soon. Not with the financial landscape that Canucks owner Francesco Aquilini has endured in a COVID world. If Travis Green's extension is an issue, it's hard to envision a contract around $10 million annually being handed out right now. Besides, if I'm Petey, it's better to slow play this one. For a young man who spent his offseason building his quote-unquote brand, the money, it's down the road. A vaccine is being rolled out. A sense of normalcy is coming probably within the year. But the other prize to eye is the NHL's next broadcast contract in America. This is the final season of the 10-year NBC deal and the league should more than double the $200 million annually they've been getting south of the border for the last decade. So in short, the blueprint is there for Benning and Petey. If Pedersen continues his growth, he'll likely stand to collect a little more, but a bridge is on the horizon. And while I'm still a believer that there's always money for the stars, the smart play is building a bridge. Kind of like replacing the Massey Tunnel. And that's this morning, Seaball says. Geez, you got to get your Massey Tunnel shot in there, don't you? Hell yeah! 
Uh, I was, you know, the numbers seem really fair for Matt Barzell. Um, Seven million average. I think that last year of that deal is 10. Believe, read that he will be offered no less than 8.5 as his qualifying offer when he's done this, which makes sense. You, It's just where are the superstars now? And gone are the Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner days for now. We may return to it, but they're gone. So for people to think it's going to cost 10 for PD and 10 for Hughes, that's not the case. It won't be there like that. And I think the great thing with these players and with Matt Barzell, who showed up and had his physical in New York, hey, they want to play for the hockey team, the respective hockey teams. So are you at seven and a half? Do you somehow get to eight? I don't think they get to eight. I think they'll be in that seven and a half number because it's not like there's going to be a, a truckload of revenue that's going to show up. And James, I know you've been, really been pounding the old okay and that, that new deal down south of the border. Well, I mean, I got news for you. Every business is taking a hit and any numbers that the NHL would have projected from NBC a year ago, two years ago, likely aren't there, but it will be an influx of money. I don't think there's going to be a big, big issue. The big issue would have been for this hockey team if all of a sudden they threw out six million, six and a half million dollars to to Jacob Markstrom and kind of set the standard. And go, wow! If you're giving your goalie that much money, what do you give the two players you can't afford to lose? And I think they've kind of kept it in line. You throw out Louis Erickson's contract and you look at the Canucks' salaries and you go, yeah, that kind of fits. And if next year you see two guys making seven million close to that. Um, and you know who they are. They're the superstars. You go, yeah, that kind of fits. And that's the key. Make it make sense right now. And it does. The only thing that doesn't sit there is Nate Schmidt, but you've got them long-term and you didn't sign that deal. Like where they'll be going with this. Yeah, it, it seems to, you know, and I, I think there's a little bit of peace of mind if you, you ultimately get to that sort of number for three years. I, I do think that you look at what Alex Petrangelo locked in with uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights and there was still money for Alex Petrangelo in a COVID world, right? I, I think that, you know, if Connor McDavid was ultimately on the market, you know, is there any doubt that he's going to get paid? No, there's there's no doubt. So I think for the stars, there is money there to be had. I just, if you've got that much uncertainty for Travis Green's contract, I think the Canucks would probably rather see this kind of, I think they'd probably be of the opinion to take the shorter term deal now and kind of wait for the financial landscape to get back to a sense of normalcy here, pair. Well, and I think that's what the agents would advise. I mean, do you think Mitch Marner's next contract's bigger than this one? Like, do you think his, this is his peak contract in my mind? Do you not agree? I mean, the kid had what, 90, 94 points or 91 points uh, the season he was coming off with. I, I guess if he's, if he becomes a perennial 100 point player, I think you can see it getting higher, but at this point, yeah, I would probably, I would, I would agree at this point, that's probably a peak value right now. But what's to say if the NHL salary cap goes over a hundred million dollars? Well, that it it could be, but I think for the next five years, I don't know if you see too many ten million dollar deals signed, just because of what they're going to have to do and endure what they did last year with revenue and lack of revenue. Nate McKinnon, but. But also, it was like, okay, this is unbelievable. The biggest contracts are coming to these kids out of their entry-level deals when normally you're waiting for, you know, being an unrestricted uh, free agent. That, that's when you're, you're, you know, pies in the sky. The lottery ticket that John Tavares had makes sense. You can open yourself up to everybody else. So I do think, hey, if you signed a deal, Tyler Myers, good on you, man. When did you become a free agent? How was the market? When do you sell your house when the market's great? And it's not like it's going to be poor for Pedersen. But his his thoughts of maybe, you know, a, an eight year deal 
coming there and going, I'm set for life. I'm in the 60s or the 70s, guaranteed money, not going to be there. But I don't think Matt Barzell showing up to Islanders skate this morning going, man, I got screwed out of this. I think it's fair for everybody. And probably it's been reined into something that's a little more logical. Bridge deal for these kids, even though they're their best players, but not necessarily holding everybody at ransom and signing those $10 million deals already. Well, and, and here's the other thing. I think with the Islanders, do you not feel that there's a little bit of wait and see for Matt Barzell based on the year he had as a rookie and then to see where things kind of went the last couple of years? You know, his point production and obviously not having a secondary offensive weapon like John Tavares, who was the primary offensive weapon in, with the Islanders before he left. I mean, what's what's the ceiling for Barzell, and can he be that guy? Like, you know, you love his skating, you love his playmaking abilities, but you know, is there that is there that ceiling? Like, is Matt Barzell closer to the guy who that rookie season, right? Like, can he can he be a hundred point guy? I guess that's the question in on Long Island. Well, I I think you can make a fair comparison to the guy that he was compared to in his rookie year in the battle for the Calder, and that was Brock Besser. You know, both lighting yeah. it up offensively. But I think both are probably better complete hockey players, understanding the game and doing more for their team than just the stats line. I think well, Barzell has been and reined the coach. in. And look at the coach he plays under too, right? Exactly, right? So you've been reined in. Here's what we need. And for Brock Besser, it's okay. Now it's not just you, Brock Besser. It's, hey, what a Brock and Bo, Brock and Bo. We did, that's all we had here. And then all of a sudden, Petey and Quinn Hughes. So you need Brock, who ostensibly, and, and you know some of the observers thinking that he may be the most consistent player last week at Canucks camp. But I think Barzell and Besser are better hockey players. Statistically, though, you look at that first year and go, okay, have they declined? I don't think that's the case. They just matured and probably are better leaders and better team players for them right now. And you take the coach, I think, of both sides. Travis is going, we need more from you, Brock. He's done that. And, and Trotz is going, and then you're not just taking off on the zone and flying with your – with your wheels, you need to do a little bit more. And they've both achieved that. Uh, Nathan McKinnon is 25 right now. He's got this season and then two more at a 6.3 million cap hit. Do you Best think by the summer, yeah, 100%. Do you think that by the summer of 2023, he's getting a $12 million contract similar to Connor McDavid? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Listen, he would be the yes. one guy. He will have played at a discounted rate for that long. Um, if, if the NHL is up at the $12 million range, right. If, if they're there, but yeah, you have to open up the bank for him and that hockey team is going to be so good. There's no way they can be together because they're going to have a whole bunch of guys that should be making five, six, seven million. And then McKinnon at the top of the mountain plus 10 somewhere, but it, listen, it's, it's tough. It's tough to know. You know. I talked about it yesterday in the NFL, that salary cap because of the pro leagues and the lack of revenue. Can you see it climb? It's easy to predict. Hey, we're going to add 4% here, 4% there. It's going to be up towards $95 million. We'll be able to afford it all under the cap. And then you pull it all back. Um, it, it's tough to see. But, yeah, the, the best of the best will get their money. I just don't know if top salary is going to be as high as we projected it would have been a year ago. 644. Uh, we'll dive into more Canucks conversation coming up at the top of the clock. 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Always welcome the discussion. Uh, our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J, coming up at 730 this morning. And in a moment, pair, no BS, right? Oh, and I tell you, I love guys who make a prediction 15 years ago and you look back and go, you know, that guy was exactly right. We will tell you the NBA superstar 
who knew what it was all about. That's a hit. Sportsnet 650. 644 on a Monday morning with James and Perry. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter. Sort of. We call BS. You want answers. I want the truth. It's not BS. Just P.S. With Perry Solkowski. Thank you, P.S. for you on this Monday morning. we got to think back to 15 years ago. Maybe Allen Iverson knew it all along. We in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. Yeah, maybe we don't need to talk about practice. Maybe pro athletes don't need to practice. Cleveland Browns didn't. Ask them how they're feeling this morning after going all over Pittsburgh. Jared Goff didn't get much practice in it. He was good enough to beat Seattle. Tyler Haneke doesn't get much practice. He shows up and almost makes Washington give Tom Brady a scare. NHL teams with their condensed schedule, James, they're not going to get a lot of time to practice. Allen Iverson was all about the game. If we learn anything and take anything from 2021, I think from an NFL perspective for sure, we're not going to need to practice as much anymore. My, my one thought, if you bring it back to hockey on Saturday night, my one thought with my uh, inner Allen Iverson voice watching that scrimmage with Mott and Gaudette throwing down was, we talk about scrimmage, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> on TV, we're talking about scrimmage. We want you watching scrimmage. Hey, P.S., NFL had a big win on Sunday with its debut on Nickelodeon. They had the slime effects, and they had kids explaining things to kids. A false start. That's when an offensive player illegally moves after lining up for, but prior to, the snap. Like when my dad starts shoveling in dinner before mom says grace. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they nailed it. The pre-production was great. Ref calls, the false start, and then they go to the kid explaining it. Which, I tell you what, when I heard that, I'm like, that is so right. How often are you at a good-sized dinner at someone's house or someone's made it, and you want to dig in, but those who are preparing the meal haven't sat down yet? That is a false start in every sense of the word. You know, it's funny. Like, you look at those touchdowns, on Nickelodeon, and they did the whole slime in the end zone, right? You know, Pear, you go back almost 40 years ago, and, and there's a generation of us that probably remember watching that show, You Can't Do That on Television here in Canada. And yes. that was, you know, it was filmed in Ottawa, and it was kind of like a kid's sketch comedy show, like an SNL sort of format. And whenever somebody would say, I don't know, you'd get slimed. And when that show ended uh, in production here in Canada, the reruns ran on Nickelodeon for a year and that's where all the sliming started a little over 30 years ago and like to this day here we are 30 years later and man NFL games guys getting touchdowns and getting Sean Payton got slimed after the game last night and that all started here in Canada stole the game of basketball from us stole slime from us damn America sliming damn it P.S. One season, you think you're set. The next, you should be happy to have a job. Man, the life of a journeyman in the NHL. Slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. You know the nearer your destination, the more you slip sliding away. Two years ago, Ben Hutton made $2.8 million playing for the Canucks, and because of injury, there were some nights he was playing 25-plus minutes. 
And you thought, wow, what's he going to make? $4 million in his next contract? Now, there were reports that Hutton had a three-year, $3 million per year offer on the table from Montreal. He didn't take it, and then he went. Best he could find was a one-year deal in Los Angeles. Well, over the weekend, Ben is simply going on a pro tryout to Anaheim. 27 in his prime, one of the nicest guys. But James, big money can disappear quickly. He may very well be playing for a third of what he was three years ago in the NHL. Was Jim Benning and the Canucks right? Were they right all those years ago? Cut and bait? Seems like they were right the way the money is. Guaranteed they were because he was making too much at that point. Right? I mean, again, it's it's the market correction. He was never a defenseman worth three mil, but he got advice and he told otherwise. And my goodness, how much does he look back at that and go, man, I made the wrong decision. And finally, P.S., let's all cheer for FC Chorley. Back in November, they are a, a beat a League One side in Wigan. They're playing FA Cup soccer. They won again. This is not even a pro team. And when they win, what do young athletes want to do? You celebrate by singing Adele. song became their theme song i don't know they all know the words they bought they beat derby on the weekend which is you know jeff mallet a part of the whitecaps owner no wayne rooney on derby none of their big stars but they get the win and they continue on they're called the magpies man fly magpie magpies fly and sing adele at the top of your lungs you know, there are certain things that make a song iconic or you learn to appreciate it in a different way. I never thought much of Tiny Dancer until Almost Famous and singing on the bus and just, wow, that's a great song from Elton John. And you think of Gloria and you get different appreciation for it 30 years later when the St. Louis Blues run off to the Stanley Cup. And here we are with Adele. Never thought I would actually see it with two dozen men singing Adele and appreciating it like I did on the weekend. It was great. No BS. Just PS, everybody, on this Monday morning. Uh, much more hockey talk coming your way. Uh, dive in as the Canucks return to the ice uh, later on this morning after shutting down practice due to COVID uh, concerns. And uh, also we'll head to Calgary as well. Eric Francis checking in on Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, and the Calgary Flames. We'll do that next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Waiting, waiting, going for all of it down the right sideline. The pass up in the air. It is yeah! knocked down and complete. Knocked down and complete. Micah Hyde knocks it down, and the clock shows zero. The Bills advance. The Bills win it. These guys are here to break it all down. And Adam Godette goes down in a heap near side with Tyler Mott, and they're going to drop the gloves. Godette coming around with the right hand, tackles Mott to the ice, and the linesmen get in quickly as tempers boil over here in the scrimmage. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. They are who we thought they were. This is the starting lineup with James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. Two minutes after 7 o'clock here on this uh, Monday morning. What's happening, everybody? Canucks back on the ice um, later on this morning and only the one-on-ice session, which means they probably have a clearer sense of what the roster is going to look like after kind of divvying up mostly the main roster and 
guys probably headed for either the Taxi Squad or Utica later on this year. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski with you. We'll check in with Eric Francis uh, from Sportsnet Calgary coming up in just a few minutes. See how Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev, the former Canucks, are faring so far in the brief little training camp window that they had. Uh, these two teams will collide uh, next on Saturday and a week from today. They'll play the second leg of their back-to-back um, in Calgary before the Canucks will have uh, three straight at home against the Montreal Canadiens. But two days away from puck drop, and the Canucks with a bit of a scare yesterday, Pair, as uh, they shut down practice over an abundance of caution uh, with COVID-19 protocols. The fourth team to have to deal with some sort of shutdown um, obviously not impacted quite like the Dallas Stars, but the Canucks uh, taking um, you know, taking things seriously and shutting it down yesterday. Well, you have to. And I go back to, uh, A, what Travis Green said. Uh, his first practice back as they were getting set for the bubble, and one of the messages he wanted to drive home to the guys before they went to Edmonton was just be prepared for anything. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. And I think that statement is still true. John Tortorella said as much uh, with Columbus being one of those teams over the weekend. Like James, we we signed off just as Dallas was, uh-oh, reports COVID, they're, they're going to close it down. And then you had Penguins, then you had Columbus, and then yesterday morning you wake up, you were going to practice, mm-hmm. and you go, oh, it's canceled. It's going to happen. It's going to happen during the regular season. And it's how you adapt. And it's just another mental challenge that these players are going to have to have is be really smart about everything. Spouses, friends, everybody really, really smart about everything. And then when something does happen, just go, okay, that's it. We'll take it as a day off, make sure everybody's good, and then go back and react to it. I, I think we would be silly to think we won't have this conversation at some point after the puck drops on Wednesday with some teams where they're going to have to shut it down for a day and they're going to have to reshuffle things. So they move back to the on-ice session uh, 11 o'clock this morning, and uh, we get a little clarity after practice uh, to kind of see what exactly uh, went down, but it seems like everybody is safe and sound. Uh, Our Sportsnet 650 Twitter poll question we're asking you this morning, uh, who will lead the Canucks in goals this season once play gets underway? Is it Besser? Is it the captain, Bo Horvat? Is it JT Miller, who led the team in points last year, or is it Elias Pettersson? And right now, 53% of you are all in on Petey, which is where I would lean. Kind of surprised here that a very, 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 very distant fourth in this poll is Bo Horvat, who had one lights out of a Stanley Cup postseason back in the fall pair. Like, are you crazy, Canuck fans? Like, 2.5% think that Bo Horvat will lead them in scoring. Like, I understand that's not what his job is. That's not what his role is. But this guy was incredible in the bubble. This guy, I think, comes back and goes, proves that he can score. He's really never had anybody on the right side and whether Niels Holglander can be that guy. But if it is, and this team is more of a not one lotto line to score and line number two can also score, come on. Your captain deserves more than 2.5%. I agree. Um, you know, Vasily Podkolzin also in the news this weekend as well. Back in the KHL, he was a healthy scratch. There's been some rubblings out there that he will not take part at the World Hockey Championship. I, I'm not sure how that decision's already made now here in January, but um, 
Here's what Jim Benning had to say about the possibility of Vasily Podkoles and joining this team before the end of the year. But all obviously, we've speculated a lot over the last few months already. Obviously, a lot of excitement with Niels Hoaglander here. But could we see Pod Colson? Here's what the Canucks GM Jim Benning had to say last month here on the starting lineup. We'll have to see what's going to happen with the World Championships this year. Um, his contract with the KHL goes to April 30th, and and you know, if, but if he's going to be on a on the on the Russian World Championship team, then we're not going to get him till after the World Championships. But if not, then you know we'll approach his team and ask him for his release and, and try to get him signed. Well, how about that? And and does this uh, happen before the end of the year for the Canucks? As the season's tentatively set to end at the beginning of May, you might be able to get a few games with them down the stretch here. Well, rumors certainly were circulating when he didn't dress. Some said, oh, probably quarantine World Juniors, but others in that game played in the World Juniors and, and they played there. Uh, his, you know, there the reports that they want to sign to sign him to an extension. He's made it very clear he is NHL bound. If you run a team down there and your young star player um, is a guy who doesn't want to be there, has made it clear, why are you going to, you know, in a sense, it's kind of, you know, in a way, well, you know, if Louis Erickson didn't want to play here, that'd be okay. It's, you know, we're not handing anything out to him. Okay, Pod Colson, you don't want to play here. Why would we give you 18, 19 minutes of ice time? Maybe there's some friction there that Jim Benning and those in the organization know. He could go play in the minor leagues of Russia and get some ice time, but boy, you know, as Jim kind of said, hey, maybe they get out of it. I don't see it happening, but is there a possibility? I can't see him being on the world championship team if he's not getting much ice time in the KHL. Um, you, you hate to say that for the kid. He said all the right things. He's doing everything he can. He doesn't have control over it. But I think the Canucks feel that Podkosen will be in a Canuck uniform before they're all done, maybe sooner rather than later. Well, I, I, I just look at it. I, I, I just wonder how much politics come into play here with an expiring contract for a young player who wants to be here in the National Hockey League. 100%. Russian politics. Uh, nine minutes after 7 o'clock here on this Monday morning. I'm James. He's Perry. And we head to Calgary as the Flames, uh, well, the Canucks will drop the puck on their season on Wednesday in Edmonton while the Flames open up their season on Thursday in Winnipeg against the Jets. Eric Francis, the franchise from Calgary, joins us here on this Monday morning. Happy New Year, sir. Uh, you're the last person I'm going to say Happy New Year to, I think, by the way. Yeah, I think, what is today, the 10th? It, it's about time we stopped that. But what, my 11th. bigger question is, when, is it the 11th? Yeah. Oh, we should. Yeah. What, what, when do we stop turning on the Christmas lights? Because I feel with COVID, we get an extension. Am I wrong? I took them down on the weekend. And yet I'm the only person on the street who's taken the lights down. Everybody else is, there's like everybody around yep. me still has their lights on this morning. Mine were down on Friday as well. Really? Nice. Because, and I, I've, I've, I've lived my life with some pretty strict rules that you can't turn your Christmas lights on before December 1st. Uh, you know, trees got to be yeah. down before New Year's and yeah. lights should be off by about the 10th or 11th. Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. But I'm just wondering in COVID, since we're all, you know, stuck in our houses, if you get an extension. Anyway, let's talk hockey. <laughs> well, fr- franchise, listen, we know one thing. You guys in Alberta don't pay attention to the rules anyways. Keep them up till March if you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. It's too cold to change them in to take them down now anyway. Hey, I was going to ask you this, and Sabolski's going to love it, but The Rock was famous for it doesn't matter. Is that almost what the Flames are about for the regular season? It doesn't matter. 
because you were just going to be judged by what you do in the playoffs. hundred percent, hundred percent. You know what? The Calgary Stampeders, you know, uh, same thing. They win the division every year, 15 and three. And then you just, it, but it didn't matter until you got to the playoffs that they could prove that they weren't chokers. So, you know, we got a city here where the label is increasingly all about choking. And, uh, you know, I guess in the flames situation, I don't know if it was, I don't think they choked last year, although they were up against Dallas. They were 12 seconds away from going up three, one in the series and they choked that away. So I don't know. I, it's not about choking. It's just not, it's not being equipped to rise to the occasion when it matters most. And in Calgary's case, it just, I think the history has been that they can't play big boy hockey. Um, and I think over the last two years, starting with the, the acquisition of Milan Lucic, they're all about trying to play big boy hockey. So uh, I think that's kind of the goal. And you're right. Every, every comment you hear from the players, when you ask them about the season, it always talks about, yeah, well, we, we it's all about the playoffs. So, it's unfortunate because it's going to be tough to get there. Uh, and, and that's what they got to worry about, making sure they get there first. Cause it's a, I'm not saying it's a tough division. Cause I don't think it's, I think it's the easiest of all the divisions, but I think it's got the most parity in it. So it won't be easy for anyone in it, obviously excluding Ottawa. They have no chance. What do you mean by the easiest? Uh, what I mean by it is I don't, I don't, I think if you pulled around the league and said, okay, where are the Stanley cup contenders? I'm not sure many people would say that there's anyone in the Canadian division that's a cup contender. Mm. And, and I, would, I would disagree with that because I think the Leafs, I think to a lesser extent, the Flames are a cup contender. Um, and I know a lot of people are laughing in Vancouver when I say that, but I, I, just, I still think the Flames are the deepest team in the Canadian division. Um, whether that translates into you know, success, I don't know. But uh, I, I, just, I think you, know, you look around at all the other divisions and there's at least one or two cup contenders legit cup contenders i don't know if you could say that about the canadian division hmm. interesting johnny goudreau this team used to go because of johnny goudreau they're far past it now aren't they yeah oh good i'm glad you finished that sentence that way because i think that's an old that's an old wise tale that you know this team goes as johnny goudreau goes um and i think that because goudreau has been so brutal in the last three playoffs um that I think that they are, it's like, okay, that it, he's never going to be able to carry us anywhere in the playoffs. We need to make him a very secondary player on this team. Or probably better put is we need to shield him. So there's a bit of a changing of the guard right now this year. And, you know, Gaudreau and Monaghan have been the top line here for the last, what, three years, four or five years. Um, this year, Lindholm and Kachuk will make up the top line. And they're doing that with an eye on hopefully – giving some better matchups to Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan. Cause when the other team put their top checkers on those guys, they're neutralized pretty easy in the playoffs. So yeah, it's not about Johnny Gaudreau in this city. As I mentioned earlier, it's about the depth and uh, you know, we've got some emerging players like Dylan Dubé and Andrew Mangiapane who are 20 goal scorers in this league. I believe, um, you know, they're going to come out with the Kachucks, with the Lindholms, with the Gaudreaux, with the Monaghan's. I, I, you know, their top six is, Pretty pristine, if you ask me. I, I really – anyway, I, I hate being too bullish on a team because then you sound like a big homer. Uh, but, I, you know, I do think things are really coming together for the Flames. They're, their core has been here for a number of years, and, you know, they've, they've got to be in their bottom. They've got something to prove. They're solid. No, that's, I mean, that's the one thing. Like, I don't know if they're, they're 
they're spectacular in any one lights out franchise player sort of role, but they're just they're just solid from top to bottom and front to back. Uh, Eric Francis here with us on Sportsnet 650. Uh, you know, before we kind of check in and see how Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev are faring, Travis Hamanick joining the Canucks. Uh, you watched him for three years in Calgary. Give me a sense of how you think he'll fit here. Yeah, just you know, just a real solid defenseman. You know, and a team first guy. I always used to say like. He'd block a shot with his face in a preseason game uh, because he cares that much. You know, I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. He's the ultimate teammate. You know what I'm interested in? You guys remember because it happened to Vancouver with uh, was it Branson? You know, when he got his face smashed in in that fight, um, first game of the season a couple of years ago. You know, he's got screws and plates and everything in his face. I'm pretty sure he's been told never to fight again. I'm fascinated to see if he listens because, uh, like I say, he's the ultimate teammate. He'll come to anyone's defense, and uh, pe- people are going to like him there. He's not going to blow anyone's socks away. You know, he's going to get, like, maybe 12, 13 points tops, uh, but he can get that puck out of his own zone, and he's a hell of a defensive defenseman. He's the ultimate defensive defenseman, high off the glass and uh, get the job done. Yeah, it sounds like it'll be the the perfect fit to replace Tanef as we swap defensemen in Calgary and Vancouver uniforms. Um, I, I know early on last week at practice, I saw Josh Levo's name up with the number one line. Uh, he's kind of one that got away and one that so many people think if he could ever get on a roll, he could play in a top six role. Uh, is that a hope in Calgary? He just part of that depth that they needed to add? I I think the hope is that he will be a top six guy. I mean, I, I, they're, you know, they've got guys who can easily replace him because um, they, you know, they've got almost everyone back from last year in their top, top 12. So, uh, but all through camp, him and the other new guy here in Calgary, Dominic Simone, have flip-flopped between the top two lines that I talked about earlier, Kachuk and uh, Lindholm and then Kajou and Monaghan. So Levo started with, one pairing and then moved to the other. And during their scrimmage the other day, they split their time. So I, I just think management here really, really wants to give those guys a chance to see if there's any chemistry with those top lines. Um, I think ultimately Simone will not be a top, you know, nine guy on the team. I don't know. But, uh, but, but Lebo, I think there is high hopes for him that he can play top six minutes all year long. I, you know what? I, he kind of surprised me the other day in the scrimmage how big he is. I, I mean, I, I know we all look at the tails of the tape and you see what size these guys are, but man, he looks a lot bigger than I expected. I, I don't know why I say that. I just that's what popped into my mind when I saw him. So yeah, it's encouraging to hear you know people like you guys say that, and I've heard that from the Vancouver fan base. They, that's the one we may regret. I know IMac wrote that he thought that he may be the guy that they regret losing the most. Um, anyway, people in Calgary haven't seen him much, and uh, they're looking forward to seeing what they can. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to come back from, and I mean, he's he's had a couple of teams kind of concede on him already, and see if maybe there's a fit in Calgary this year. Um, Eric Francis here on Sportsnet 650. There are a few people kind of grimacing over a uh, a soft inter squad game goal that Markstrom allowed last week. Uh, give us a sense of how the uh, the highly paid goaltender is faring, and uh, along with Chris Tanev as well. No, man, I I I can't give you an answer on that. I mean. The scrimmage they had the other day, uh, they didn't count shots on goal. So, you know, not that that's the whole indicator. Like, yeah, maybe he left the cut. I haven't seen the highlights. I watched the game. I mean, I was there. But, uh, you know, if there was a softie that people kind of thought, oh, boy, oh, boy, 
um, it's a scrimmage, right? Like it's like shinny hockey. And I know these guys are trying to ramp it up, but at the end of the day, there were a lot of guys who were just left, left to go in alone on goalies. I, I, I can't tell in a practice. I'm not smart enough at all to watch a practice and say, Oh man, that guy is on. But people far smarter than me say he's had a good camp. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's the only indicator I have, really, right? Without live bullets, we don't really know how these guys are going to be. And quickly, Eric, we, we talk so much about a goalie split here. What do you think Markstrom plays in this condensed schedule? Do they expect him playing like 70% of the games? I don't think it'll be as high as a lot of people think. First of all, you've invested six years on them. Second of all, this condensed schedule, they really want to be careful of managing the load. And third of all, the backup was an all-star last year, David Riddick. Uh, so I think it's going to be closer to a split than people think. Like, I think the number that a lot of people have been throwing out is 40 games for Markstrom out of 56. I would be stunned if he played that many. Um, I, I know he's capable of it, uh, but I think they really want to make sure that both guys go into the playoffs, if assuming they can make playoffs, uh, you know, with load management in mind. You know, that's that's kind of the mantra around here in Calgary, all – all week long is just we don't want guys to be tired the first week we don't want to be tired the last week it's just let's let's maintain their minutes nice to catch up with you sir and uh i didn't realize you were uh, starting to get so soft on us that it's uh, what six degrees in calgary this morning and you're saying it's too cold to take down christmas lights man when did you get so soft on us i was playing into like a you know everyone thinks it's cold in calgary i was just making your listeners feel better about themselves yeah it's a warm day here <laughs> you won't believe it but it's raining here today <laughs> is that right oh, I'll, I'll let the people in Shock. calgary know they'll be shocked to hear that <laughs> yeah thanks eric Take thanks, care, eric. thanks all right there he is eric francis uh joining us from sportsnet in calgary is the flames uh i'll tell you what uh eric can be uh the flames biggest critic at the best yes. of times, he's pretty bullish on what he sees from Calgary this year. Optimism abounds everywhere. But, hey, that on paper, that's a really good hockey team. I mean, let's be honest. That's a good hockey team. They get knocked out. They didn't have Kachuk. They probably should have knocked off Dallas. We know how far the Stars went. So, But, yeah, sometimes there's something between the years, though. And they wouldn't be the first team to be really good and not get over the hump. But, yeah, they are all about the playoffs and how far they can go. Interesting. Hey, I hope we get to see him play a few times. Well, we'll see him twice uh, coming up, <laughs> like, oh, I don't know, Saturday and Monday. Yeah. Uh, the first Ten of times two, this year. Uh, the first of nine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, down the hall we go from News 1130. Sonia Aslam, who uh, joins us bright and early on this uh, Monday morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, boys. What's going on? Nothing. It's raining. It's Monday, and you know we've officially entered the second week of 2022.0. Well, I said it. 2020 already. You're yeah. There? Yeah. In in news world, yeah. Sports world, not so much because you guys are like, hey, hockey's back. Yeah, we're like, oh, things are rough. Well, yeah. we were kind of ready to. We were kind of looking at the. Uh... The Canucks shutting down practice, and I think we thought it was going to be much more than what it's turned out to be. They'll be back on the ice later if, this morning. But. Yeah, if I wore pearls, I would have clutched my pearls when I saw that tweet go out <laughs> about, oh my gosh, please you don't, don't wear cancel pearls. Per- <laughs> yeah, just at home, Not you know, morning. just 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 because. Uh, no, when I saw that tweet, yeah, I also was very scared because I was like, please, I need hockey back so badly. I need to see the game on Wednesday. Please don't cancel this. Also, please be healthy and safe. But also, please, I need the game to be gone. Yeah. Well, they're back on the ice this morning, so hopefully that's okay. Yeah. Uh, what's going down with their friends uh, south of the border? 
Why? What's going on? They, they seem today? fine. Yeah, no, they're trying to get rid of Trump. <laughs> Greg's laughing in the booth. Um, yeah, no, they're trying to get rid of Trump. He So Inauguration Day is January 20th. They are looking, they've given Mike Pence 24 hours to decide whether he invokes the 25th Amendment, which means that the president is mentally unfit to run the country. If he doesn't do that, then they will do a second impeachment. Now, really, this is a lot of process. If it's going to go through, if anything's going to change in the week and a bit he's got left, we don't know. But the real concern right now is that a bunch of these... Um, you know, as Joe Biden called it, homegrown terrorists, all these groups that, you know, took part in what happened last week are threatening to do it again on Inauguration Day. And they're taking it a step further this time because there's a lot of talk on social media and all these groups being pretty open about what they plan on doing. They plan on, you know, trashing the Capitol again. They plan on going to the neighborhoods where a lot of these uh, Congress people and senators live and going after their homes. Like, this is becoming much scarier than I think what we first anticipated. At least this time, you know, the military is there. The cops are a little bit more ready than what we saw last Wednesday. Uh, however, it's it's going to be a messy 24 hours for Trump and Pence. It's, uh, it's amazing how many people have tried to distance themselves, even Republicans. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger with quite the, uh, quite yeah. the speech uh, over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, you see people distance themselves. You know, with a pair of the PGA, uh, they've also pulled back from Trump uh, yeah. as well. That they, probably hurt him the most. Yeah, they, they pulled the, the PGA championship up from his golf club this weekend. You know, I had read some stuff that said he started building golf clubs because most clubs wouldn't allow him in. Said, oh, damn you, I'll build my own. Pathetic. And he did, but that, so that pathetic. would hurt. <laughs> Bill, Bill Belichick slated at this point to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Donald Trump on <laughs> Thursday at this point. But I, I just wonder, like, how bad a look is that from you're trying to attract free agents potentially? I mean, do you want that look in a photo op in 2021? with the president or the outgoing president of the United States right now, Sonia. I mean, it, I, I, it's just amazing how many people have suddenly uh, kind of said, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, finally it's, uh, time to kind of cut ties here. But it's too little too late. You've stood by him for years. No one's going to forget that. You know, every time we saw an, a, a Stanley Cup winning team go to the White House, I couldn't even look at those photos. It was disgusting. That was even years ago. It's just, come on, you guys mm -hmm. should have known better then. And obviously now, now is the time to yeah pull away. And some aren't. There are some, like, Lindsey Graham's like, hey, he's a great guy. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> what are you doing? We have a week left of this, and hopefully it's not violent in the last week. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you very much for this. Uh, happy Monday. How about this news just coming down that uh, NBC uh, Sports announcing that Mike Milbury won't oh. be back uh, as an NHL analyst. And guess who's joining the NBC broadcast crew? Mike Babcock. Really? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. I like Mike, but then all those allegations. Uh, I don't know. I will no, say he does have great hair. Uh, they've replaced one hard ass with another. <laughs> <laughs> we need a different voice here in the game. All right. Bring your paychecks. for Mike. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Okay. Well, good. good for him. Happy Monday. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Sonia. There she is, Sonia Aslam from News 1130 with the latest this morning here in the news world. Uh, lots going down south of the border, and this week should continue to be an intriguing one. All right, 26 minutes after 7 o'clock. We're two days away from the start of the Canucks season. Uh, NFL divisional playoff matchups are set after a uh, – 
Depending on your team, it was a disastrous weekend for a lot. Where do they go now? We'll get into all of it with our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J. next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Mayfield throws Chubb, makes the grab, gets some blocking, breaks tackles, and Chubb is going to go all the way to the end zone for a Browns touchdown. 40 yards. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 731. It's a soggy one out there this morning and then mainly cloudy skies later on this afternoon. A high of nine degrees. James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski kicking it with you just two days away from the start of the NHL season. Canucks opening up in Edmonton. Your Canucks commute coming your way at the top of the clock. But uh NFL round one in the books of the postseason. And I'll tell you what, based on how things kind of played out over the weekend, Pear, I think we're going to see uh, a real turning of the page for a lot of quarterbacks that I think you could make a case for a Hall of Fame careers. You know, I think this is it for Drew Brees. Phillip Rivers, I think, is probably going to say it's done just the way he was throwing the ball on Saturday. And I think Big Ben might be time as he turns 39 in March. I think we could be seeing a lot, uh, the end of an era for some guys who've been just fixtures on Sundays for us for pretty much the better part of the last 15, 16 years. Yeah, the great thing, though, if, if you want to use the term changing of the guard, you see what we've had in the last couple of years with young quarterbacks coming in and going, hey, they can play. So uh, you're right, although, you know, Roethlisberger has a big contract that's still there. I think Drew Brees, he's set for the broadcast booth, but he's not, you know, if you're that close, if you get to a Super Bowl, you lose it. Do you say, hey, this team is really good. I'll do it one more time. I don't think so. I think Indianapolis would be better if they look for something with Phillip Rivers. Hey, it, it was incredible. You know, first time we had three games each day on a wild card weekend. And uh, it usually lives up to it. And it certainly did. Let's bring in our Monday morning quarterback, Natea Jay, here on this Monday morning. Natea, what's happening, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. Three games on both days. I mean, first time in, in NFL history. I'm really, man, I'm, I'm loving it. I, I wish we did it every single year, and I don't know how we go back from here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Tell me this. What, what, what game, what result stood out the most for you? It's got to be the Browns game, right? Like, honestly, we were thinking, you know, okay, Pittsburgh, you know, they let them in the playoffs. You know, they had the opportunity to you know, beat them and, you know, not even have to face them again. But they're like, yeah, we the Browns are the Browns, right? They're We're going to beat them like we always do. Then you get into the game, first play of the game, uh, center snaps over Ben Roethlisberger's head, down uh, 7 nothing. Then it just snowballed from there. They could never recover. So that was the result that really stood out for me. Everything else was pretty much, um, you know, what what I expected is uh, other than the Seahawks game, of course, but that Browns game, I didn't expect them to blow out the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it really wasn't close until, until the end there. Nate, tell me as a player, I mean, they're down 28, nothing. Then all of a sudden it's 28, seven and credit to Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels. Collinsworth had the, had the Steelers pom-poms. They can do this. And you know what? Sure enough, they did. They pick up 17 points in the third quarter. They're down. I believe at that point by 13, End of the third quarter, they come back for that fourth and one. You have been blown away. You have made so many mistakes, and now your offense is rolling. It's fourth and one. It's a two-possession game, and the coach decides to take the ball out of the players' hands and say, we're going to punt when you know you don't have many possessions. I can't believe what Mike Tomlin did to that football team 
Does that resonate on the sidelines? Or like, what are you doing? Or do you go, yeah, coach, good decision? <laughs> it absolutely does. Because I guarantee you everybody on that sideline was like, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's go for it. And for whatever reason, it didn't It didn't enter in Mike Thomas' head to actually go for it. I'm surprised because he is on he's on the Cleveland side of the field, you know, fourth and one. Cleveland's tired, right? They, their offenses felt like they've been on, out there for an hour. That is the perfect time, you know, to go for it. At least leave your offense out there. You know, try to draw them offside. If you don't, call a timeout and come back and run. And then once you see what formation is, run your best play to get one yard. You can get one yard in that situation. If you can't get one yard in that situation, you don't deserve to win the game. So have confidence in your offense. And once you don't go for it then, it almost beats you twice because you have to punt it away, and then now your team is dejected, right? As a player on the sideline, you're like, oh, my goodness. Now we have to do that much more work. And the punt didn't even work out itself. He punted it into the end zone, net 25 yards. You're almost at the same spot with Cleveland having the ball. And that's the situation. You know, the other team is like, okay, we got him on the ropes now, and it almost energizes the other sideline. So, you know, it's, it's a tough – it wasn't a tough decision. I just, I, I'm still shocked that he didn't go for it there. Uh, Natalia J, our Monday morning quarterback here on Sportsnet 650. I still like Mike Tomlin as a coach. He's still a heck of a coach, in my opinion. But I, I you know, I think it was definitely a head scratcher. Explain this to me. If, if you're a player on the Seahawks and you're kind of licking your wounds after Saturday, how did you let that one get away? Like Jared Goff couldn't throw the football. You got run over by Cam Akers, and you're at home at that tuna, Tay. Yeah, you know what? I for that game, it would it probably would have been completely different if the, the Seattle had their fans and then the twelves. You know, no way John uh, uh, Wofford is going in there and executing any any type of offense. But yeah. if I'm a player, I'm looking at this game. I'm okay. We're facing a backup quarterback, right? We're at home. Everything is set up. We we know this team. We play them. Yeah, they've got a great defense. They've got tremendous players on that defense. But no one really scares us on that offense, especially with Jared Goff being not being able to play. And even when he does play, you're like thinking, oh, okay, Jared Goff has to come into this game. He's got a busted thumb. No way he can throw, right? It's all set up to win. And if we just have an average offense, I'm thinking we're going to roll these guys, right? Their defense might keep it in there, but there's no way we should lose this game. So if, if I'm a player, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't understand what happened. And, but as a fan watching it, they just got beat up in, ter- in their interior offensive line. And it, it just wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Russ had no time. But the thing is, you know the Rams – can only run the ball in this game, right? They've got a you know, quarter, two quarterbacks get hurt. You know they can only run the game. How do you allow Cam Akers to still go off for almost 170 plus yards? I don't understand that, right? Okay, you know DK Metcalf is being covered by all pro uh, DB and Jalen Ramsey, right? Where are the other receivers? Why aren't we moving DK Metcalf around so that he has favorable matchups elsewhere, maybe in the slot, maybe on the other side of the field? Where's Tyler Lockett? I'm, I have a, so many questions. I just don't understand uh, what happened. And it, it makes that Jamal Adams trade look even worse now because, you know, you gave up, you know, a Lots of draft capital to get him, and now uh, he, he can't cover anyone uh, other than, you know, uh, <laughs> a running back out the backfield. So it just – I've got so many questions. I'm dejected if I'm a, a Seahawks fan right now. Well, they say defense wins championships, and it certainly can. But when you've got the experience of Russell Wilson and the weapons he has – and granted, the O-line wasn't good, but it wasn't like Russ was moving and rolling all the time – did they lack any adjustments to counteract the fact that they were losing the interior line? 
Yeah, the, the the creativity of the offense was is something that I was looking to because after it seemed like week uh, nine, eight or nine, there it just okay they they stopped trying to let Russ cook okay because they felt like it wasn't working. They're really aggressive early in the season, really guys taking shots down the field. Okay, they they toned it down a little bit, but then this game it's just like. I don't understand where, what we we're trying to accomplish here. Okay, they're rushing four, and that creates problems, right? When you can rush four and and create pressure and have the quarterback move around because you got everybody back, you know, being able to cover. So you know the Rams have four great line, linemen, right? Now it's time, you know, to work your quick passing game, right? You have you have to move the pocket. You have to work your quick passing. Game. You have to get some screens going, right? Because they're getting upfield fast. So I I was not impressed with the lack of uh, with the creativity on the offensive side of the ball and the adjustments okay you're going at halftime you see nothing is working we come out after half and we score 10 points i mean we, I, I just understand off in that game that's bad because you know golf has got a thumb that you know barely works so it's uh it's, it's an agreement on everybody on on the steelers uh, i mean on the seahawks you know, coaching staff uh players where was Tyler Lockett? I mean, they have developed a, a, a third receiver as well. It just it, it didn't look pretty, and it, it, it shouldn't have been this way for, for the Seahawks. Yeah, t- tough tough way for things to kind of end for the Seahawks. And, uh, man, a lot of questions. They've got, what, two dozen free agents to deal with and try to figure out here going forward for a team that, you know, they went 12-4 and four and felt still incredibly flawed <laughs> despite losing just four w- games all year long. Uh, Natea Jay with us here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Lamar looked great for the Ravens, but what was more impressive, Lamar Jackson and his effort or the Ravens' defense holding Derrick Henry to just 40 yards? Ravens defense, hundred percent. We know what Lamar could do. Now he's shown it. He had that been saying that they're probably the team that nobody wants to face in these playoffs. But no one has been able to stop uh, Derrick Henry this season, right? Two thousand yards. I mean, he seems like he gets stronger as the game goes on. And you know, the last time they faced they, they, they faced uh, the Ravens in, in the playoffs. I mean, they, Ravens obviously had the game plan to stack the box, right? They had the same game plan this game, but the only difference was the last time Derrick Henry was averaging 7.6 yards per carry. And to who unbelievable job by them. They had some guys that were back uh, off injury, Liz, uh, Liz Campbell up the middle. Huge difference. And uh, you know, Tannehill, he, he's, he's good. He's a good quarterback, but he's even better when Derrick Henry is and he can really just for the simple fact that uh, Derrick Henry you know, was, was stymied. But that was an impressive effort by that defense. It seemed like the you know, Titans up to 10 nothing. lead. It could have been 14 nothing, but it seemed like the, a replay of last year's playoffs where they get up to a lead and force the Ravens out of you know their comfort zone where they can use their run and set up their pass, and it seemed like that was going to happen. But Lamar Jackson, after that bad interception, he was able to convert a, a key third down there, and then next thing you know, he's you know out racing the whole team uh, to the end zone, and that that seemed to change the game for them there. But you know that defense did an incredible job, and you know next week it sets up a, a fantastic matchup if we, we love new age football with with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, it's going to be an awful lot of fun. Natay, thank you for this. We appreciate it. Um, six football games on the weekend. We'll have to settle for four next weekend and a national championship tonight, which should be fun. I uh, appreciate your time as always, bud.
Always, always. Uh, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do with just four games. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right. Yeah, I think we got to get back to check out, check in with our uh, our family members. There was a neighbor in Atea J, our Monday morning quarterback here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, a neighbor had remarked they had to kick their kid out of the house there for uh, go for a walk in between all the football games yesterday. <laughs> His 13-H son had just hunkered down watching football and lots of it all weekend long. Well, and and there were so many, you know, there's so many big decisions that are made. The Mike Tomlin one, I couldn't figure out. That first game on Saturday morning, uh, the Buffalo game against the Colts, Frank Reich. It just seems this year like the gamblers. And I love the, you know, it used to be the, oh, he's the riverboat gambler, that coach, he's going for everything. It just seems now with all the analytics and the probabilities, they'll put it on the cast, they'll have 65% chance that they'll get it here. Uh, they're going for more than sometimes they should, and you lose the element. And it's like analytics everywhere, James. You kind of lose the eye test and the feel of the game. How Mike Tomlin didn't feel all that momentum on his team side oh, and I then know. take it out of his players' hands is ridiculous. In that particular time. Now, I, I, I understand the logic, but the way that they were moving the football at that point, yeah, it's just like, go for it. You know, you're, especially at the point of the game that you're down, like, just come on, let's keep it going, guys. And, um, yeah, it completely blew up because all of a sudden I was thinking images of the 1986 AFC Championship. John Elway absolutely ripping the heart out of the Cleveland Browns way yeah. back when. It, it kind of felt like it was going that way for a couple of moments there in that third quarter. Um, but, you know, to not go for it and then and give Cleveland some credit too. Like they counterpunched in a huge way, right, to, to ultimately kind yeah. of – but it, if you're going, how many times are we going to get the ball? Well, we have it right now. Let's give it back. No, no, no. You you knew it was a matter of possession. You go down, go down there and score. It's a one-possession game. And ostensibly, probably 12, 13 minutes yeah. left in the fourth quarter. Now you're in it. So, uh, yeah, he's got to eat that one. He's got to own that one. But credit to the Cleveland Browns. I know Sat will be massive today on the program. They deserved it. They played well in a crazy week. Don't give them any chance against Kansas City, but it's a nice celebration this weekend in Buffalo and a great celebration this weekend in Cleveland. Two teams and organizations that deserve the celebration. And, hey, man, we haven't even touched on it yet, but real quick, Chicago probably turning the page. We've probably seen Mitch Trubisky's last game as a Chicago Bear. Woohoo! Yeah, who do you get, though? Get to Sean Watson. Oh, well, you know what? I mean, they just they're they're just paying off all those first round picks for for Khalil Mack. But I'll tell you what, I was talking to a buddy about this over the weekend. You could go around the league right now. I think that between the two of us just chatting over the phone, we counted, I think, at least two dozen teams in the National Football League that would totally replace what status quo is right now for their quarterback situation for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Well, is that good? Right. Yeah. He's a top three quarterback in his prime in an organization that hasn't treated him the right way. And uh, that that is not going to stop. This scenario is going to go on for a long time. It would be fascinating if Miami works out a deal with Houston to go. It's too bad. I like that Houston franchise, um, but Deshaun Watson deserves better and he'll likely get it somewhere. My 16-year-old nephew is a massive Dolphins fan and he's all nervous about giving up on two. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You make that deal no matter what. You you punt on Tua if you got a chance to get Deshaun Watson. Like, this is not a conversation. This is not a debate. You make that move. 
Anyway, uh, we'll get to continue the conversation on that. Plus, your Canucks commute coming your way at 8 o'clock with Olympic silver medalist and Sportsnet 650 hockey analyst Corey Hirsch. It's all still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, nine minutes to 8 o'clock. Your Canucks commute coming your way. Sabolski and Solkowski with you. So, Pear, how about this? There's about, what, 650 to 700 players in the National Hockey League? We could be looking. uh, The season starts on Wednesday. You know, final rosters haven't really been set uh, by most teams around the NHL. And the sense is that we could be looking at about more than 100 or so players that could be hitting the waiver wire here later on this morning. Like, you could be looking at, like, 100-plus players about to become available because you got to figure out what your taxi squad's going to look like. the Canucks have a practice set for 11 o'clock this morning, right? But mm-hmm. that's the only one ice time slotted. Like, they don't have the two ice times. So they've obviously made their decisions. They just haven't made them public yet. So teams are, like, you're going to see a tidal wave of players that are available creating a whole other speculation. Well, pick him up! Oh, my God, I can't believe they waved him! You're going to see some fascinating moves, I think, made here over the next two hours. Well, yeah, because there's some teams that are still trying to move some salary. Um, and, and you're going to see some, you know, it's usually very predictable as to which one or two players are going to be on waiver wires. And other teams are going to look and go, you know, they can help us right now. So, you know, Jim Benning, who, by the way, Jim Benning will join the program today with Satin Walks and, and we'll hear from him. This is still, you know, the final 24 hours to go, how, how do you make your team better? And when you say team, it's not just that roster that you're putting on the ice and the couple guys up at the press box. It's the extra skaters you have. It's that taxi squad that's going to be so needed this year because there is no question that you're going to need to be deep. And you're not talking deep on the blue line like eight guys. You're talking deep on the blue line like 10 guys. You're going to have some injuries. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating, the decisions. I don't think it's that um, it's that difficult for the Canucks. I think they'll have to make some decisions going, okay, those guys on the taxi squad, are they young or do they all have to have some pro experience, at least in the AHL or not? But, yeah, we will see some names that will be surprising. Um, of, of guys being sent to the waivers, waiver wires because of, of their salary and because of what you know teams have to do to, to get to where they need to be. Well, and not and not just that, but you've also got teams that are up against the cap that need to get under the cap yeah. as well to try to figure out the financial logistics, what your taxi squad's going to be. Uh, we saw a couple of former Canucks uh, making some news yesterday. Uh, ben Hutton joining the Ducks on a professional tryout. Uh, Michael Del Zotto, DJ MDZ. Uh, yes. he, gets a, he gets a one-year deal. Uh, it's a two-way contract, or a one-year two-way deal with Columbus. So, um, no, still still kind of hanging around after all this time as well. And, James, those two guys, if they're 9 and 10, like, I would take that. I don't want, you know, we had Del Zotto and Hutton when they had to play too many minutes. But if those guys are, are $800,000 players and you get banged up, uh, I, I would have them sitting around going, yeah, okay, that's a nice option to have rather than a kid who's out of college. So, you know, those are big signings. Yeah, I, I still think, I mean, the Canucks are in a good spot now, I think, from a depth standpoint. And I think you'd much rather have somebody like Brogan Rafferty or Jack Rathbone kind of waiting in For the wings sure. rather than, um, 
you know, than guys like Hutton and Delzato. But, you know, nice, you know, two likable guys. And, and nice to see that they're still, uh, you know, finding roles and jobs in the NHL. All right, your Canucks commute coming your way in just a matter of moments. Corey Hirsch will drop by as well. It's all happening two days away from the NHL season. Dropping the puck as the Canucks and Oilers set to collide right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. A cup of joe and the Canuck commute. Back to the line for Rafferty. Left point, Rathbone, long shot, rebound in front. What a save by Holpe on Justin Bailey, who was driving through the middle. Got the rebound of the Rathbone shot, and Holpe kicked out the pad and held it out. That's a couple of pretty impressive saves from Braden Holpe here in this second period. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. It's your Canucks commute here on this Monday morning here on Sportsnet 650. James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski with you. Hour number three, and coming up in just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Sportsnet 650 hockey analyst Corey Hirsch. will join the discussion as uh, the Canucks have to whittle things down today. Only one uh, scheduled ice time uh, at practice after having to shut things down yesterday due to an abundance of caution for COVID-19 protocols, Pear. Uh, but the Vancouver Canucks uh, on the ice later on today, and we should have a clearer sense of what opening night will look like. Teams trimming rosters, and already uh, other teams are making moves this morning, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, the Leafs uh, dropping 14 players, uh, and among the names, Timothy Lilgren, um, one of their top uh, prospects there, and also Martin yep. Marinson, a longtime NHL veteran uh, who's been up with the team at uh, various points for the last several years. Uh, some of the names cut Michael Hutchinson as well, veteran goaltender, also uh, on his way to Uti- or, sorry to the Toronto Marlies or potentially just being uh, uh, placed on waivers and see if somebody else jumps in. There'll be a lot of names that some GMs will look at and go, hmm, surprisingly, guys that maybe they thought would have been someone they could have uh, looked at or had interest in a couple of years ago that um, we'll look at you're, you're going to have 100 plus players are going to be there uh, in the next little while. And you go, OK, here's what we're doing from a Canucks perspective. As they get on the ice today will be the first time on the ice. Travis Hamannick will be there. And the question, James, is can you miss as much hockey as he had? And even in this training camp, because he was quarantined practice on Monday, likely practice tomorrow morning before they fly uh, to Edmonton and then play on Wednesday. I would think you would have to be. No, you, you can't do it that quick. And Brogan Rafferty, who played on Saturday in his spot, likely gets a chance to to get comfortable. And I think that's a good thing and get some games that I can't see them rushing Hammond again and saying, all right, you're set to go two practices and here we go. Know your teammates' names and we're off and running considering how condensed the schedule is. Well, why would you? Right? Like why why would you why would you rush him in? Like it's it's a fifty six game season. There's no need to jump the gun here. You've got time to work with and, you know, allow him to get acclimated. You know, get his sea legs under him, right? He's going to practice with the team for the first time today, later this morning at 11 o'clock at Rogers Arena. And, you know what, he'll get another practice in tomorrow. I would think he'll have a couple of skates Thursday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And my guess, you know, if I'm putting money on it, Saturday in Calgary against his former team. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Give them a week and ready to go. And I'd just be curious to see. I mean, uh, we watched the Canucks on Saturday night. People wanted to. You could have saw the Leafs inner squad game on, on Saturday night as well. Boy, this first week of the season will just be interesting. They came to the bubble and we wondered what pro hockey players would look like having not played since March. And boom, they jumped on the highway. The intensity was so wrapped up. You knew that it was going to be a sprint to the finish line. 
I don't know if we see that on, on Wednesday. I don't know if we see sloppy hockey, if we see a lot of goals because of it. But it's time for them to play. And as intense and we saw a fight and all that, it is still you're watching a scrimmage. That's all they've been able to do. Mentally, you can't take it to the next level when you know the guy you're taking into the corner is your teammate. Fascinating to see what it'll be like Wednesday as they drop the puck. Can't wait for it. Well, I'll tell you what, there was no issue with Tyler Mott and, and Adam Goddard on oh. Saturday in a scrimmage. Well, right? there was Which, an issue. That wasn't needed. Not the scrap, but the slew foot. Well, and that's and that's the that was the problem. That was the one thing I don't think anybody has an issue with. Hey, you know what, guys, you know, guys getting the, the, the best of each other emotionally and going at it, but exactly that. The slew foot was completely unnecessary. And it's dangerous and it's stupid. And Mod isn't normally that guy, but for him to do something like that in that moment, and then not only that, but again, getting up and then and then sending God at stick away, you almost wonder was there a personal issue there beyond just that slew foot. My first thought was what did I miss? Right? Mm. That was that seemed so reactionary because the slew foot was textbook. Hands across the chest, pull him back, kick that leg underneath, kick with your leg, and you're right, he wasn't done there. So I don't know if these guys have a beef. Bo Horvat afterwards said, hey, man, we're like brothers. I don't know. Sometimes brothers get into it and it just doesn't make sense. That one seemed to be a little bit more involved for some reason. Now, hey, you, you want Tyler Mott to be that engaging guy. Uh, if it's Anton Roussel, you go, that's how he plays. But you're right. I don't know if there was more to that. Hey, you can have everybody get along, but it doesn't mean you're going to be best of friends. It just looked like that was a retaliation for something. Never heard of it, never saw it, no one spoke of it. But it just looked like he had a real beef with Adam Gaudet, and that was the way to get him. And it could have been dangerous, right? Not only the fight and he breaks him, but the way Gaudet was coming down, you, the whole thing with the slew foot, you don't see it coming. You don't expect it, and that's where injuries come. So I thought it was a little offside and not the old, yeah, hey, boys will be boys. Uh, not on Saturday night. I uh, should also mention, uh, as we as we alluded to, the Canucks have obviously some decisions to make to, before finalizing their roster and, and getting guys uh, maybe placed on waiver here for the waiver wire before uh, opening night coming up on Wednesday. Uh, Jim Benning will uh, join uh, Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah coming up at 4.35 this afternoon on the program on Sportsnet 650. So the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, 4.35 this afternoon, and kind of get a sense of the method to the madness once we get a – I, once the Canucks probably announce who's uh, who's coming and who's going. But if I could guess, Pear, I think Niels Hoaglander is going to be part of this roster here come opening night. I think you're going to see the lotto line to start with Miller, Pedersen, and Besser. I think Horvat and Pearson are going to start the season playing alongside with the young 20-year-old Niels Hoaglander. If I could guess, your third line is going to be Brandon Sutter centering a, a group between Tyler Mott and Jake Vertanen, and then Jay Beagle, Adam Gaudet, and Antoine Roussel. Your back end, Schmidt, Edler, Yolevi, and Myers seem to be working well. And I'll tell you what, quietly, and, and this is a nice story, Ole Olevi just having a quiet camp and not making mistakes. And, I, I mean, at this point, it feels like he's probably going to be part of that third pairing. And I guess the question is where, who plays alongside Quinn Hughes? I mean, does Hamannick step in there? Or, you know, do you look at maybe Jordy Ben getting the first couple of games here to start the season? But... At this point, um, maybe a little bit of flux uh, on the back end, depending on when you want to get Hamannick in and then who starts on opening night. Is it Holtby or Demko? But I'm I'm certain that they'll play back-to-back -back nights here, both of them. 
Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see who, who they give it to on Wednesday night as far as the Nets concerned. I think, you know, if you look at Friday's practice, he had Sutter on the right wing with, with Beagle and Mott. I wonder if they give because of youth and knowing what's coming out of if Adam Gaudet, Jake Furtanen, and uh, um, are, are, are together with Roussel. We'll see how that plays out. You know, the thing is, on that third and fourth line, you've got a bunch of guys that can shuffle around. But the surprise is, and we talked about it all last week, now kind of taking a breath going Wednesday night, uh, the nation will be able to see, hey, who's this Hoglander kid? We know about him here in Vancouver, but it certainly seems like to at least start, he is going to get that opportunity to prove that you can belong in the NHL and you can play a top six role. Now, is it a stretch? I'm not so sure. Got Eric Francis on saying, hey, Josh Levo is expected to be in the top six in Calgary. He might have had that spot if he stayed here, but you kind of know what you have in Levo. Uh, the, the upside with Hoglander, you're not quite sure. And he might come on and be spectacular and all of a sudden give this hockey team two formidable lines that have some offensive punch rather than one kind of being more of a shutdown role and hope you you squeeze something in, which was the Horvat line. And and don't forget about Bo Horvat. Last time he walked on at Edmonton Ice, he felt he could score in every situation. I don't know if that's gone away. You know, our poll questions asking who's going to lead them in scoring. And Horvat was a guy who was sitting at 2%, which is kind of a shot and indictment of the captain. You give him someone on the right side who can score some goals, Bor Horvat might want to prove that, no, you know what, I, I can get some goals for you. Only 2.3% believe Horvat's going to lead this team in scoring. I understand that, but boy, he needs a little more respect than what they're giving him right now, and I think that's what the captain will be pushing for. Corey Hirsch, Sportsnet 650 hockey analyst, uh, brought to you by Manifest Practical Counseling that helps guys get a grip on life's challenges, improve your level of function. Check out manifest.me to get started. Hershey, two days away, buddy. Two days. Let's get this party started. Isn't that a song? Sing that song. Pink? Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think, I think, yeah. Well, I mean, I think Public Enemy referenced it in a. In or is a song it going to be? Well. It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. I guess depending on who gets waived and who gets cut, but you know, I, I it's pretty <laughs> remarkable to think that in a week we've gone from wondering what Nils Hoaglander can offer to the fact that it feels like he's going to be part of the opening night lineup, isn't he? I, I absolutely, and why and why wouldn't he be? Um, this guy's high end skill, high end talent. You need a right winger that has skill and. Um, you know, that can play on that right side. He's on an entry-level deal. Like, this just makes uh, total sense, in my eyes, for the Canucks in every way. you, you got to have some young guys that can play on, on entry-level deals, right? I mean, now today that that you can win with. Because once you got to start paying them, that's when it gets hard to, to manage the cap. But right now, yeah, absolutely, this kid should be on the lineup. Hershey, what do we see on Wednesday? Um, you know, we waited for the bubble and the playoffs and, and the guys played at such a level. But, boy, you're talking about such a quick training camp, no exhibition games. Uh, is it is it sloppy? Is it a next level above shinny? Should We're going to be excited no matter what it is. It could be 8-7 or 2-1. Um, but is it logical to think that it may take a couple weeks for it to look um, what we would almost say normal? I. Here's what I know of of first games of the season. They're always like playoff games. They have that intensity. They have that level of compete. Um, It's when you get a couple months or a week or two into the season, it starts to kind of, you know, guys start to come back down to earth. But usually early game one is usually almost playoff like hockey. Like it's it's that because guys are just raring to go, right? 
So you'll get that in game one where you'll start seeing a lot of the mistakes and errors is going to be in probably a week from now. Uh, it's going to be more interesting this year because now you're playing teams two, three times in a row, right? Um, so that's going to that's going to play into things. You might get a little bit more hate. You might get a little bit more playoff atmosphere hockey. But I, I don't I expect it to be high level intensity uh, game one because it's only it's a short season too, right? There's only uh, 56 games, so um, it's a race to the finish starting now. Corey Hirsch with us here on Sportsnet 650, and and that's where do you, do you figure that Louis Erickson? What do you think, Utica, or do you think he just winds up on the taxi squad here for for the start of the season? My my guess would be taxi, but what you what do you see in this one? You know what, we always go through this, and you guys have been around long enough to know that that the opening night roster never stays the same because guys get hurt. Um, yep. I think we're going to see, like the NFL was was just had. Remember how many injuries they had with no exhibition season? Yeah. Um, and the NFL, I, I think it's going to be the same for hockey. You've got a physical demanding sport that um, guys have haven't played in four months. Um, you've got some teams that haven't played in ten months, right? So, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of injuries. Um, knock on wood that none of them are, are serious or, you know, career ending for guys because that's always scary, but you're going to have to have depth this year if you're going to want to win. Uh, and depth is going to be so imperative. And I'm just getting that from watching football, uh, and what happened with football and, uh, no training camp and just jumping right into it. They make a big deal about who the opening day pitcher is in baseball. Should we yeah. make a big deal as to who the opening goalie is on Wednesday night? I think so. Yeah, because you're going to start your guy, right? You're going to start the guy that you want to carry the ball with. You're not going to start your, uh, you know, the guy that you think is a is a backup. But Canucks might be a one A one B type situation, right? So um, you might see these guys split for a little bit. If I'm Travis Green, I probably split them for the first little while, um, and just get get both of them some action. Uh, in in the first little bit, so that's probably what I would do, and then probably run with your guy. But usually, usually your opening night starter is your guy. So if that's going to be, uh, we'll get a good indication that that's probably going to be Thatcher Demko. I don't see why it wouldn't be, but uh, you know, as, as far as that goes, they've got to get him number one minutes this year and as many as they can. Now that being said, do you not want to maybe like you sign Braden Holtby to come here? Uh, you gave him a two-year deal. Here's a guy who's a former Vesna winner. You obviously hope that he's going to bounce back from the season he had. Is is there a sense or a mindset to say, hey, you know what? We want you to have this fresh start here. We like what you've done. We want you to get back to being that guy, and we want you to start. Like, is it that much of a slight if Demko doesn't start on on night one? No, not really. I I, I expect Demko will, but I, I don't think it is. You know, after what Demko did in the playoffs for the yeah. team. I think you have to give him that start as almost a reward, yeah. right? Like, um, so that's the way I see it. Uh, team might see it differently. Uh, Ian Clark knows what he's doing, so uh, you know, let him, let them decide. But yeah, no. And if Braden Holby did start it, it's not a slight. I mean, this guy's a, a, a world class goalie with a Stanley Cup and a and a Vesna in his back yeah. pocket, right? So yeah, not at all. Like if I'm Thatcher Demko, I wouldn't look at it and go, you know, what the f? Why am I? You know, like it wouldn't be like that. Um, I, they, it's, I think it's a great signing. They've got a guy that's, that's played on a, on a really good team, uh, which 
is actually more pressured to be a goalie. Uh, it's it's more pressure to be a goalie on a team that's expected to win than a team that's not expected to win, and that's just because you're the last line of defense, right? Um, so this guy's been able to handle pressure, uh, and I think that's going to help everybody. Um, optimism abounds uh, before a season starts, no matter what sport we're playing. What's your yeah. concern for the Canucks before Wednesday? Um, you know what? I, I don't, I don't have, I, I, I like, I, I like them. I like the team. I think they're going to be great. I think in goal is still a question mark. Um, but I don't, I don't look at it as, Oh my God, they need to go find a goalie. Right. It's just, a, it's just a, a, a long, cause Demko's never been a, a, an NHL starter. Right. So that would be my only, my only concern, uh, long-term, but I don't think it's going to be a problem. I'm a big fan of Demko, big fan of uh, Holby. So I, I think they're going to be good. Maybe, you know, third and uh, depth scoring, you know, that third and fourth line. They didn't, you know, Beagle, Mott, uh, you know, and Zach, uh, fourth line, uh, McEwen looks like he's bumped down. Uh, didn't get a lot of points. They didn't get a lot of production out of them. Uh, as far as offense, you need three lines that can score, right? So, you know, maybe the third line they need a little bit more scoring out of. Uh, other than that, I think their top two is going to be as good as anybody in the National Hockey League. Second unit power play in the playoffs was uh, not good. Uh, you know, remember when you had Roussel there on second unit PP? But I think that's mm-hmm. going to have a whole different look uh, with Hoaglander in the lineup uh, if he is skill-wise. Um, so I, I like I like the way they look top to bottom. It's just a matter of can they get the goaltending and a little bit of scoring from their third and fourth lines. Well, and you know the island of the misfits toys, but suddenly you've got a little more offense from the back end that you could use, depending yeah. on where you ultimately deploy Nate Schmidt, maybe on that second unit. Um, you know, do you put for Tannen in a crash and bang, and then Hoaglander and Gaudet possibly, and that's like suddenly there's a little more offensive skill to work with on that second unit that you hadn't really seen, where it was just so top heavy with that first power play unit. Uh, tell me this. Big deal or no big deal, Mott versus Goddad at practice or in the scrimmage on Saturday. I didn't so much, it's not so much the fight, but it was the slew foot that both Perry and I kind of <laughs> took issue with and looked at and went, eh, I don't like that. Yeah, you know, in, in a situation like that, you're tangled up in the boards. I, I don't think, you know, Tyler Mott's not the type of guy that's going to go out to slew foot people. We know Tyler Mott pretty well. Uh, that's not his game. He's a competitive guy. So I could see him just getting wrapped up in it and it happening. Uh, and then, and then Godet, right? You get that switch when you're on the ice where you don't even care where you are or what you're doing. That guy's going to go, that guy who did it is going to pay your pass. So I, I saw that as how that happened. Um, you know, it was two punches and it was over. Uh, it wasn't really a big deal. Uh, that happens all the time in practices. We used to have training camps and you guys have been around enough training camps where, you know, guys fought each other all the time in training camp. You know, now it's just such a rarity to see. But, um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, with the rain, it was Domi's fight Joey Kosher in training camp. Right? Like, like this is a heavyweight happened. fight. Yeah. It, and it was just the way, like, it was, you know, and and, and so that's, you don't see that anymore. Uh, so that's why it's such a, a rarity, especially when it's got Ed and Mott. But that stuff used to happen, you know, their training camp was fights. That's all it was. There was no hockey played, right? It was, it was guys fighting each other, and it was crazy. So it's just different now. That's why we make a big deal out of it. Well, and you mentioned Adam Gaudet, and, and he spoke last week that 
you know, from a from an eating perspective, he's had something he's battled with that that the doctors have caught. So now he's hungrier, can put on some weight. And you mentioned, th- you know, third line secondary scoring. I've always thought, okay, so Adam Gaudet, you kind of got a taste of the playoffs last year. At this point, you were wondering if you were on the team. You kind of forced the issue. Should we expect more from Adam Gaudet offensively, considering the numbers he put up in college and and the progression has been really good. And now it's not, are you on the team? It's how big a role can you take? Do you think there's more there? Yeah, you know what? I, I look at a guy like, if you remember Stu Barnes. So Stu Barnes in junior had like 180 points, something ridiculous, right? Played for Tri-Cities. Got to the NHL yeah. and found his role as a third-line center and had a long career out of it, right? Like, um, good skilled player. But when you get to the NHL, you got to figure out what your role is. So Adam Gaudet's got a got – settle into what is his role as a National Hockey League player. Is he going to be a third-line checker that wins all his draws, scores 15 goals a year, um, you know, and that's his role and he plays it well and you can put him on PK and uh, in defensive situations? Or are you going to try to be a goal scorer, right? Like, so he needs a defining role to me. It's not about putting up points or about doing more. Define your role as to who you are as a player. I still don't know what Adam Gaudet is going to be as a National Hockey League player. Um, He's a National Hockey League player, no question, but what are you? Are you going to be a skilled guy? Are you going to be a guy that's going to be a shutdown guy that can add 15 goals and and play second-unit power play if needed, right, like a Stu Barnes? So for me, it's more about Adam Gaudet. Solidify your role in the NHL. Do it well. Do it to the best of your ability and become that player. So uh, I think that's what I expect from Adam Gaudet. Nice to catch up, man. Do it for real on uh, Wednesday night, and uh, the games will be coming fast and furious. That's the fascinating thing, that over the next little bit, um, like, you know, never mind just Canucks games. You know, you've got Canadian teams going head-to-head, like just fascinating matchups night after night after night over the Mm -hmm. next what three and a half months? <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah, say hi to your family now be because uh, hey, Hershey, Hershey. Yeah. Before we go, you're sponsored by Manifest Practical Counseling that helps guys get a grip on life challenges. Uh, man, you are such a advocate of mental health. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, thanks, brother. You know what? Um, you know it's it's men. You know therapy for men and and uh, men. Uh, you know we need to break the silence on 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 what what's happening with men and and you know. 75% of suicides are male. Um, we know that. We know that over the age of 40, that it's a middle-aged male crisis, and it's just it's a safe place for men to go where they can talk and they can get therapy. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's something that we need to, to discuss. It's something that we need to break the silence on. And, uh, uh, you know, we know that, that men typically aren't ones to reach out or, or talk to their friends about it. So... Uh, I think it's great that, that uh, you know, we're doing this in men's mental health. There's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, go get the help if you need it. I well love said. talking sports, but there are other other things to talk about that are more important. Thanks, Hershey, as always, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. We'll see you soon. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it as well. Yes, Corey Hirsch, our Sportsnet 650 uh, hockey analyst, uh, jumping in on your Canucks commute this morning here on Sportsnet 650. All right, 24 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this Monday morning. He's Perry Selkowski. I'm James Sabolski. Uh, NFL divisional matchups are set. Six teams going home, including the Seahawks. We'll dive into what went down on uh, Saturday and Sunday in the National Football League playoffs next right here on Sportsnet 650. 
the real unfortunate part is it, you know, it's, that's it. You know, it's the end of the season. You know, and after all, all this time of, you know, putting all the hard work in and everything else, and how, you know, how, how spectacular the season has been along the way. Um, you know, and it's uh, unfortunate we didn't get it done. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 8.30 on this Monday morning. James and Perry kicking it with you until the top of the clock. And then it's the Scott Rintoul Show taking over. A reminder, Jim Benning uh, on the station 4.35 this afternoon on the program with Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah here on Sportsnet 650. Just hearing from Russell Wilson moments ago, Seahawks going home, gone fishing for the winter here, pair. And I was dropping off my uh, Christmas tree to get chipped at the uh, the wood chipper as uh, the uh, lions club locally here did their annual tree chipping service and as i drove up on saturday morning i said hey you guys been busy so far they said well it's, it's slow and steady right now but we anticipate being dead quiet for that seahawks game here this afternoon and man it was pretty quiet i think for my for fans watching that just a frustrating performance for a team that Despite going twelve and four, like has there been a team that has been more picked apart that went twelve and four this season than the Seattle Seahawks? Well, it's funny you mentioned being quiet. There's a lot of people that I talk to going, "Well, it would have made such a difference if you had the twelves were there." I'm not so sure. Yeah, see, because you know what, Seattle got off to such a great start and pretty much outscored everybody and made up for what was a bad defense. Like I think it was the Jekyll and Hyde season, and then as the defense got rolling. Russell started making some very uncharacteristic plays. And then just on Saturday, they couldn't figure it out. So if you've got the crowd there, yeah, maybe maybe the offense for the Rams, they, they can't audible and do what they want. But all they were doing was handing the ball to Cam Akers. And for whatever reason, Seahawks couldn't stop it. And their old line could not contain the Rams and how they were playing defensively. Listen, I've been saying pretty much all season long, I thought the Rams were a better football team. And full disclosure, I put a little money in and said, you know, I think the Rams are winning that game. Not a lot because I thought Russell Wilson should be able to be the difference maker. Uh, And he wasn't. And you heard him there. And Pete Carroll said, man, I just in all my vision, I didn't think we were losing this football game against the Rams. And you look and thought, hey, who's going to knock him off if you get a you know, you get Aaron Rodgers on a bad day and the way the defense is playing. And boom, three hours later, you're finished. There were even people on social media going, you know, maybe it's time for Russell Wilson to move. They're not there, but I don't know, James. That's a question. How do you fix this team? Because what team did you have? The one that looked so good for moments of the season or the one that couldn't figure it out for four or five games, including on Saturday? I just – I looked at the Seattle Seahawks at home and I looked at the difference maker, the way that Seattle had been playing defensively comparatively to the, and the Rams they, they have a great defense they really do and Leonard Floyd's been a great fit with that team as well Aaron Donald I mean Troy Troy Aikman kind of said on the broadcast he said you know I played against Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor he said Aaron Donald's probably the greatest defensive player I have ever seen in my lifetime like that yeah. is some high praise and you know but Russell Wilson to me was the difference maker in this one you know John Wolford Jared Goff like those guys should not have been able to move the ball, and 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 your your first option got knocked out of the game minutes in, right? So then you had a quarterback who couldn't throw the ball, and you still lost. You knew that your probably only option for that team was to run the football, and they ran wild on Seattle. That Seahawks team, that Seahawks D, got their rear ends kicked on the ground, and for all the positives in the last 
two months of the season defensively for the Seahawks, it kind of went off the rails for them. And offensively, you know, the same problems that have been kind of plaguing this team over the last six weeks offensively, you know, let Russ cook. I mean, think about doesn't it feel like three years ago that we were talking about Russ for MVP? Right? Well, we're talking yeah, about an exactly. MVP season. The first six weeks of the season were great. Uh, he, the defense is what I don't understand. You you game plan and Wolford gets hurt, and they could do more with him, and you had to be ready for his ability to run. You get a quarterback that you watch from the sidelines that he's throwing ducks, wasn't throwing the ball very well. You know he doesn't like to run, although he can be mobile. He sits in the pocket. So why not cut him and come at him? Because you know when you get to him, if you sack him or you fall on him, he goes down. If he puts that right hand down with the thumb that had surgery on it 12 days ago, you never know what he's coming up with. But all he had to do was hand up the ball anyways. And he didn't load up the box and go, okay, I'm going to stop it. It just seemed to get away from him. And it's on the players and it's on the coaching staff that you, you couldn't figure it out at any point in this football game. And, you know, credit credit to the D of the Rams. I don't give the Rams a chance next weekend because they'll be banged up a little bit. But uh, it's on Seattle. Of all the teams that lost, um, even maybe more so than Pittsburgh because I think the Browns, they just had everything fall their way and, and they took advantage of situations. Pittsburgh dialed it back and made it a game. But I just think Seattle, for the favorites, they weren't in it right from the get-go. No, and, uh, you know, a lot of key free agents here now for this team going forward. Chris Carson's a free agent, K.J. Wright, Shaq Griffin, um, you know, Bruce Irvin, a lot of key names. Geno Smith is a free agent. Uh, you know, you, you look around, um, you know, David Moore, Philip Dorsett, um, they've got they've got some decisions to make here and very limited cap space to work with, so... Um, they went 12 and four this year, but man, oh man, just a, a very flat ending to the season in the playoffs. But, you know, not the only disappointing performance in the playoffs. I mean, you know, for the Titans, I mean, to only get 40 yards on the ground from Derrick Henry, you know, in a matchup that was kind of build Lamar Jackson against Derrick Henry. I mean, Lamar silences the critics as he picks up his first of what will likely be many playoff wins for his career in the National Football League. But Derrick Henry, 18 carries. And 40 yards for a guy who rushed for 2,000 yards. Like, like to me, like, that's the one number that stands out more than anything from the weekend. How Derrick Henry got absolutely locked down by Baltimore's defense. And he, he ran over them early. Like, six weeks ago, he ran over them. But the Ravens' defense was something that the Seahawks should have been thinking of. We will not get beat by a running back. We will get beat by a backup quarterback or a quarterback who's got a broken thumb. That should have been the mantra. And the Ravens go in there and said, 100%. you were not going to beat us, Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill, you win the football game for you. A.J. Brown was hurt all week, but he played and he played well. Corey Davis got hurt. But the Ravens said, okay, here's your strength. We will stop your strength. You beat us elsewhere. It seems like it's pretty simple. And if you don't have that second part of the equation, you don't win. And, and Tannehill and, and the Titans didn't have that. No. Um, you look around some of the other games uh, now going forward. You've obviously set up in the AFC. You've set up matchups with Cleveland and Kansas City uh, next Sunday. you got Baltimore and Buffalo, which should be a fantastic matchup on the Saturday, and I'm sure a bunch of Bills fans are getting nervous after finally getting their first playoff win in 25 years, and now you got Lamar Jackson and company rolling into town uh, next Saturday. should be a great matchup there. In the NFC, it's the Rams and the Packers. 
Tampa and New Orleans go at it. Brady and Breeze go at it again. When when you look at how things kind of played out, you know, tough weekend for Phillip Rivers, tough weekend for Big Ben. You know, Drew Brees didn't look great again. I mean, that's a good Bears defense, but, you know, the Saints didn't look great against the Bears. They were just so inept offensively uh, yesterday. And I, I, I wonder this, like, of those three guys, do you think we've seen the last of all three? At the end of this season, no, I, when this season's over, do you think that all three are done? Uh, I think uh, if memory serves, it's $22 million or at least $20 million that Big Ben has come in his way. Breeze would walk away. I think he's got his job set for him in the broadcast booth. Rivers has got 16, 17 kids at home. I wonder if that's enough for him now. Um, he made that team better. I, I think I think Rivers gave the Colts what they thought he would, but they would look to see what the option is. So I could see those two walking. I, and I think the one guy that would make the biggest difference and make the team better because they got a good football team around him and a young team would be Big Ben leaving, but I, I can't see him leaving. Why he's going to walk away from that money if they'll look and say, hey, we're, we're going to cut ties. Not but, sure but, if that's but, possible. But if they do leave, and you were talking about generational players who were fantastic at what they did, a couple of Super Bowl winners and, and, and Rivers all over the record books, it's okay for the game because uh, of what we've seen in the last two or three years of quarterbacks coming up. And stepping up and going, all right, we're going to be watching a lot of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes and, and, and you know, Justin Herbert this year, Joe Burrows before he got hurt. And, to, and, you know, and we can still question about Tua. But in the end, those guys were great football players and the quarterbacks are the leaders. But it's okay if, it, if they leave to pass the torch because they've got some capable, capable guys to, to carry the NFL shield for sure. Yeah, Roethlisberger is going to be 39 in March. To me, Roth, I'd say Breeze to me is a Hall of Famer. I make a case for Roethlisberger as a Hall of Famer. Rivers, I, I, I don't look at him as a Hall of Famer in my mind. Like just you know, no. just no no big wins. You know, just no. You know, but you would sign up for, for sure. his career. His numbers he put up were great. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Couldn't get over the hump. A, yeah, good, good numbers, yeah. but but. You know, never like was he a great like? Could you ever at any point say was Philip Rivers a top five? Like in the era of Brady, Manning, Rogers, Breeze, was Philip Rivers a top five quarterback in the NFL? I don't know if you could say that. And if he was, it wasn't long. It wasn't long enough sustainably for him to kind of have that Hall of Fame career. And that's how I'd kind of measure that for for Philip Rivers and company. But you're right. Like you know, you go back to the Seahawks and the Rams. You look at all how the game has kind of changed now where you look at, you know, Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and quarterbacks with some mobility, Josh Allen, uh, you, you guys who have that sort of dynamic that can that can move with the football in their arms beyond just throwing it. Look at the Rams and Jared Goff. You know, one yeah. year they take him first overall in 2016. And in one year, the game effectively changed with a with a quarterback that gives you that mobility, right? And I, I just wonder about the long-term success for a guy like Jared Goff. Like Carson Wentz, it seems like they're ready to turn the page on him. And so Wentz kind of that same sort of draft class as Goff. But you look at those guys, and you know, you're you're looking at those two guys who are more your traditional drop back passes. Even for as much as as much as I hate on on Mitch Trubisky in Chicago. Like, Mitch still brings a, a mobile element to the game. You know, I mean, Ryan Pace should be fired for, for missing out on Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson in that draft. But look at Goff, that sort of drop-back guy. I mean, 
you know, for a guy with a busted thumb, I, I don't like, do you think the Rams have a shot against the Packers next weekend? No chance. No, no chance. They have no shot. And and Sean McVay through the broadcast kind of said as much. Like you don't want to say it about Goff because of where his confidence was. But there's just more things you can do. There's more things you can do. I mean, the only guy that's really left that sits in the pocket is Tom Brady. And he's so smart when he moves up in the pocket, that may be enough. And they've tailored that offense to him. But if you're looking, hey, we'll see two guys who are great in the pocket, but they can move tonight in the national championship in Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. But to draft a quarterback that is not mobile anymore, you go, oh, he's big in the pocket, it's tough to bring him down. That's not enough anymore. And, no. and that's all Ben Roethlisberger was. He threw for over 500 yards, and he threw the ball 60 times. Now, granted, you were down 28 nothing before anybody got adjusted to everything, and you had to. But you do need that element of surprise. I don't think Russell Wilson used his legs enough on Saturday, and Lamar Jackson used his legs to get things going with Baltimore because you know his deficiency is sitting in the pocket. So, yeah, it's a different type of quarterback, and I think they're all coming from college you know, Kyler Murray and all that. And they have, you know, here's my repertoire. Can you throw the ball? Yeah. And can you run? Yeah. Guaranteed he's got legs too. That's what the NFL is going forward. Some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul show coming your way at nine o'clock. We'll look ahead to the national championship game tonight. And Shane Doan has found a job. Those details all next right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 12 minutes to 9 o'clock. The Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the clock. And uh, among the guests, Cliff Averill, Rick Ball, Sportsnet's Dan Murphy all dropping by to chat with Scotty coming your way at 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes announcing this morning here, Pair, that uh, Shane Doan is joining the club as, uh, what is he, the a chief uh, what is he, the official chief, uh, hockey chief development, development of, yeah. Um, some, I'm not, I'm not going to say some kind of bogus title, but some kind of title that Shane Doan deserves. He spent the last three years yeah. within the NHL operations. Here is a guy that took nothing for granted as a player. And much like we talk about Steve Eisman and what he has done and built that Tampa Bay team, James, Shane Doan has been a guy going, okay, I, like I've got no problem rolling up the sleeves. Where can I learn about the game? How can I fit in? It makes so sen- so much sense that he's such an ambassador in Arizona. I mean, it, really, I mean, what are the odds that at some point when there's a, a vacancy, the next VM, uh, GM vacancy in Arizona, it will be Shane Doan's, and you're going to go, well, he's been around the team. He's worked for it, right? He's following this, this, the footsteps of an Eisman, of a Shanahan, and going, no, I, I was a great player but I want to be a manager. We'll look at Joe Sackick and I think he'll get there. This is just another step. The, you look at the issue with leadership or when it comes to handling leadership with the Coyotes in the last couple of years, I mean, there was the whole Oliver Ekman Larson possible Canucks saga that went down back in the, uh, in the fall here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the captain of their team. And let's, let's face it. I mean, for a couple of years, it was a bit of a bad breakup between Doan and the Coyotes, and it's nice to see that fences have been mended. And, you know, there there's a great guy in the community to shake hands and kiss babies in order to try to help attract sponsors and, and to help continue to try to grow the game in the Arizona area. When you think of the Coyotes, I mean, it's, you know, he's kind of their Mr. Hockey in, in Arizona, right? Shane Doan is, is the guy. Makes complete sense, right, to have that. He's That's home, um, and he's a hockey guy. And I tell you, he I'm sure he could walk in that room now no matter who's there. 
and probably has more respect than anybody else in there. And it's be the first to say, no, 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 just let's just talk. And, and he'll help them too. I'm, I'm sure if, you know, and he would be the first to say, I don't want to be around that room. And they would go, Hey, pop in. It, it's not going to hurt. It's like when the Sedins left, Hey, you're welcome to come around the room every once in a while, because any conversation you get into with our young players, we know that they will benefit. Same situation for Shane Doan. If he starts talking to any pro players in the Arizona team. Uh, NHL.com has their uh, Stanley Cup predictions Woo-hoo! and playoff predictions. Uh, nine of the 15 staff writers on NHL.com have the Canucks finishing in the top two of the North Division or the Gord Downey Division, as you have uh, as you have uh, mm-hmm. renamed it. So uh, obviously some high and praise. And two of them have the Canucks going to the Stanley Cup final. Woo! Too soon? Are, I, I, here's the thing. I think we're too close. We're kind of like Cleveland Brown fans yesterday. I know we're up 28 nothing, but I'm not so sure. I know this is a good Vancouver hockey team. I like their top six. I think they're a better team than they were last year. But we're basing last year on four weeks in a bubble. So I'm not sure. But it's nice to see people on the outside. Yeah, thinking, listen, the Canucks are, are one of the top teams you're going to see in the North Division. They're they're going to be playoff bound, and and like I said, a couple of them have them in a Stanley Cup final. Wouldn't uh, go there and, yet, but I think they're going the right way. You know, and, and questioning. I mean, there was an article in the Athletic ranking. You know, starting goaltenders. You know, the Canucks I think ranked twentieth or nineteenth out of thirty-one teams, uh, and Holpe was kind of viewed as the guy because he's got more of the body of work. Uh, national championship for college football coming up uh, later on this evening. It is uh, Ohio State and Alabama. So you got the Heisman winner Devontae Smith uh, and Mac Jones for Bama with eight and a half point favorites over Justin Fields and Ohio State. This should be fun. I mean, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, Bama favored by eight and a half, and the over under for this one pair. I'm taking the over on this 75 and a half. You're taking the over? <laughs> I'm taking the over. It's never been higher for a championship game. I have to take the under and just feel like a winner for the first half, at least, because <laughs> that's ridiculous. So it's a, it's a 40 33 game, which is crazy, mm-hmm. and you still win the under, an over under of 75 and a half. There's a lot of studs on both these football teams. I just think Ohio State was all about beating Clemson. They got that done. I, I would take Bama and I'd give the points, and I will do that. Uh, but it should be fun. Our last night of sports to watch, 24-hour break tomorrow, and then we are all in till middle of August every night. Uh, one team averages 48 points per game. One average is forty three. So if if they if they do what they typically do on average, you're looking at these two teams combining for ninety one points. But yeah, seventy five and a half points is the over under. What did I say about defense wins championships earlier in the show? <laughs> Not so much. Overrated. Uh, we got to get out of here one step closer to the uh, start of the NHL season, which is going down Wednesday. Tomorrow is for Tuesday. Todd Bertuzzi scheduled to join us. Uh, lots more hockey talk coming your way. And don't forget Jim Benning uh, this afternoon four. 35 on the program with Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah. The Scott Rintoul Show is next. We're back at it. Same bat time, same bat channel tomorrow right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.